Everybody, welcome to another episode of Throwing Wrenches Podcast. This is Eric Stahl. And I'm Daryl Scott, and this is the auto podcast that has the best guests. We're still working on Is that too bold? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I'm proud of our guests. <laughs> I'm proud of our next guest. Yeah, actually, guest is sitting right here, so we're going to be talking about him here for a few seconds. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about our sponsors real quick. We've got to get that out of the way. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, you heard the dulcet tones of one Gabriel Casey, purveyor of the Casey Law Office, available on the web at clopeoria.com. Practices in many different disciplines, types of law. Uh, if you are interested in finding out more about some of the services available to him, or you just want to talk to him because he's a nice guy, he's one of our guests. clopeoria.com. Appreciate his sponsorship of the show. Yeah, also, he owns a new Supra. I don't know. Did sure. that seriously happen? Yeah, it seriously happened. Okay. I think from this podcast. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to talk about pod, or if you want to talk about sports cars and Supras, uh, along with law, Gabe is your guy at clopeoria.com. We're also sponsored by Fort's Toyota Pekin. That's an easy one for me to talk about because I work at Fort's Toyota Pekin as a service manager there. Fort's Toyota, we like to say it's 15 minutes from anywhere because it's in North Pekin. It's right off of 474. It's a new and used Toyota store. We service uh, all Toyotas and other makes. I've said Asian makes before, and somebody said that was racist, but... If it's in the Pacific so. Rim region yeah. and you own a car, we can certainly work on it, whether it's Hyundai, Nissan, uh, Toyota, Lexus. Bring it down. We'll talk to you. 382-4000 is the service department. 382-4000 gets you the sales guys. And www.toyota-pekin.com is the website for Fort's Toyota Pekin. And thanks for your sponsorship. We're also members of the Peoria Podcast Alliance, and we are on <laughs> the na- – our names are on the – chalkboard with a couple check marks after it because we've missed several meetings now tardy tardy see us Sorry. after school right yeah we're basically in detention see you next time you can check them out if you'd like peruse some of the local offerings of podcast fair at uh, peoriapodcasts.com uh, and to be honest i'm not sure that feed's still live so we're gonna, i'm gonna have to do some checking we're gonna we're we've gonna been, get, we've get been on that pimping that site for these folks anyway uh i, I don't feel bad about doing these ads i told daryl i listened to the joe rogan podcast today he was mm. interviewing the guy from meat eater and uh, he did seven minutes of solid ads about mushroom coffee, uh, the Cash App. I mean, I, here I am sponsoring, talking about Joe Rogan sponsors. Mushroom but anyway, coffee, that sounds gross. It, well, actually, there's... Uh, it's like mushroom mind. compost. I see that at Menards. Yeah. I've never bought you it. Cause probably make coffee out of it. Probably. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> probably. Um, so that was seven minutes of ads for Joe Rogan. Now, we aren't as successful as Joe Rogan, so I think our one or two minutes of ads, that's, that's fair enough, right? I think so. All right. We, we, we take feedback, though. Always willing to hear it. Yeah. All right. If you don't know about my host, Daryl Scott, there are people who talk and there are people who do. And there are the rarefied few who can talk the talk and walk the walk or wrench the wrench. 
Daryl Scott. He's comfortable talking to the 24 to 54 demographic on radio <laughs> or rebuilding carbs on old Mustangs for charity cases, no less. That's, right. That's my co-host, Daryl Scott. And uh, if you're listening to the other gentleman speaking just now, he came, he saw, he recommended a full cooling system flush. <laughs> So you better go ahead and do that. He's Eric Stahl, purveyor of fine automotive care, is the service manager of Ford's Toyota in Pekin, as he mentioned, full disclosure. He brings a wealth of auto tech to the podcast game, and he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. I don't think that's trademarked, is it? No, but I think we should own that. Farmers. Farmers is going to sue us. Uh, we'll call Gabe Casey. Yeah. Um, dot he's, he's a downer. He'll, he'll say no. He probably will. Eric, it's always a pleasure to co-host this program with you. And Eric, we have another special guest. Yeah, and I'm going to give him the intro because I've known our special guest for a while. Uh, welcome, Todd Fortier. He's a self-proclaimed Renaissance man. I didn't know that until he told me he's a <laughs> Renaissance man. When he's not serving community as a volunteer fire chief or spending his waking hours at ICC creating the next generation of gearheads for the auto biz, He's also facilitating them how to turn wrenches and run a shop. He's the only person, he says, that travels more than I do. Welcome, Todd Fortier. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. I don't know what took so long to get to episode 20 before I was asked to come on, but I appreciate Eric giving me the nod to, to join you guys tonight. We'll bump you up on the list next time when our other podcast happens. Yeah. It's Doomsday Diesels, Doomsday I think, Diesels. was Eric's... <laughs> Ill-fated concepts. It hasn't it hasn't really caught on yet. I'm working on it. We'll get, we'll get you on I'm there. Still working on episode one. Um, yeah. So um, Todd works at ICC. Uh, the auto. I, I say auto tech vocational, but you may do more than that. I, so that maybe it's generic the way I say that. What exactly do you do up here at ICC? Uh, well, first of all, Illinois Central College has several programs that deals with uh, automotive and transportation areas, everything from diesel power equipment technology, which has been around forever, been full for years. Uh, We have our CAT Tech program, and then the two that are in our shop that we happen to be doing this in tonight are our general automotive program. I never say the word generic. It's always the general automotive program. Then we have our dealer-sponsored program, which is GM ASAP, which the dealerships sponsor those students that come through here. Uh, I'm actually in charge of the automotive technology program as the program coordinator and then also a professor in that Uh, and he's right i didn't even say we are recording live from icc in east peoria yeah we're we're in your house here todd yeah we're at the the main campus there are several other campuses uh what peoria the old zeller and pekin you said there's a campus yeah we have we have what we call affectionately icc north which is the the old zeller we got uh some beautiful new buildings out there. Uh, then we have the ICC South Campus, which is in Pekin. And uh, I think we've moved most everything out of downtown Peoria. So, Excellent. And we appreciate you, uh, you know, open the doors and letting us take a little tour. I'm sure we'll probably wander through some other parts of this here. But we're literally sitting in the – is this the trans room? Uh, yeah, it's our clean room where we do our automatic manual transmissions. So I see, like, a couple Ford, what looks like uh, either AOD or E4OD transmissions kind of blown apart. That's probably some GM of some sort there. It looks like some lunar escape pod or something. It's uh, that, that would be something you're real familiar with. That's out of a Tahoe. So. Is it? Uh, is it for sale? Am I, uh, you don't want that one. It's, <laughs> it might be better. I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk after the show. But, uh, no, this is a real pleasure, and I appreciate you uh, letting us have some time here where we can kind of see, see what this program and what you do, uh, what it's all about here yeah, at ICC. We're going to talk a lot with Todd about the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we threw about 20 interview questions with him, far more than we had. Gabe Casey with last week. Um, 
So we softballed, Gabe. We did softball. I think that's a sponsorship thing. It, should ICC choose to sponsor the show, we'll throw you some softballs in the future, Tom. <laughs> Get the real questions now. Exactly. Uh, again, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, please, if you could share the show on social media sites like Facebook and other places like that, let everybody know about it. That is how we're getting the word out. Uh, we are growing by the tens every other episode, as we say. We didn't get any reviews. We asked for reviews with the Gabe Casey Show, and I didn't get a single review yet right, here in, right. in August. So please, get on iTunes, get on another website, whatever it takes, throw a review out there, let people know about the show. It takes two minutes, and you know it helps everybody out. So appreciate it if you can take the time to do that. Uh, it's time to talk about projects, Eric. Oh, are we already there? I think so. <laughs> I think we're... You yeah. skipped ahead, but that's I okay. Did. I'll I run did. to that. I'll run to that. Okay, so I, I really have no projects, so this will make this real easy. My son got grounded promptly after the last show. We were gonna, I was going to take the Placidip and roll it on my son's truck. That was going to be the big project. Yeah. And uh, once his sister went to college, he decided he wasn't going to help out around the house. And it's been really, really tough <laughs> to be in that house the last two weeks. So, For shame. So he's like, hey, you get my Placidip? I'm like, no, dude, until, no. You, until you start taking out the garbage and doing the dishes. It ain't happening. It's so. not how any of this works. So right now I have a hood that's half-painted on a, an old Forerunner. Hopefully he gets the bug. I mean, is he interested in Oh, no, he wants it done. Yeah, okay. He, he, he's getting his license here in September. He's going to start driving to school, and I don't think he wants just a nasty old hood half done. So Probably not. Yeah, we need to get this thing rolling. All right, well, All I right. wish him luck. So other than that, I'm working on the mower. I will say this. I do have a, a Ryobi uh, One Impact. How I ever got through my life without that thing is beyond me. Aren't they great? This last year, I've fixed more stuff. I think I used hand tools for everything. Seriously. It was insane. You had oh. an air, air compressor at all? But I never had pneumatic tools. No? No, I just, you know. Uh, even if you did have pneumatic tools, these new battery-powered things are just as powerful. And, boy, is it quiet when you have 40 people using them at the same time. <laughs> I can only so imagine. It's, it's pretty interesting <laughs> around here. I'm sitting in a classroom just <laughs> all day. Yeah. Yeah, I just got one too this year. It was a uh, it was a Makita, but okay. I, I fell in love with it. I'm like, why did I spend so many years without it? The battery tech has come so fast on those things. I think that even five years ago, those tools you know, you could use them for like an hour or two and they were done. Yeah. Now you can use them all day. I can let them sit for a month at my house and still come back and they've got all the torque and everything I need. So it's a beautiful thing. Awesome. Uh, all right, Daryl, what do you got going? You always got something good going on. Well, no tools. Maybe I'll save that for Christmas. I need new <laughs> tools. But um, I've been lining up some parts to fix a broken turn signal switch and a horn wire in the column, which is my favorite thing to do, working <laughs> steering columns um, on a 55 Plymouth that we have. And actually, I drove it here tonight. So, Oh, did you? Yeah, it's like the oldest thing in the parking lot. Does, kind of, does it need cool. any service work? Because we do have some bays open here at the school. Maybe. Maybe. But we'll talk about that later. No. Uh, it's It shouldn't be too hard. I'll probably do it straightforward just pull the column out uh the gearbox is already somebody cranked down on the adjuster so it's already at the bottom of his travel which is always the every vehicle i have <laughs> i've had one car where i'm like i got lucky and i could just take a little slop out of the gearbox every other car i've had has just been cranked all the way down and it just because needs... everybody else got lucky before you got it yeah and... yeah pretty much so uh at some point i'll have the gearbox rebuilt i think that'll be about 400 bucks there's a couple places i could send that to but winter project yeah, it's still run. I mean, it's still everything just... Yeah, it just looks like I've had about seven Brandy Alexanders on the way home. <laughs> Every time I drive it, because the thing just can't stay in a straight line. Oh. And I swear, it's it's the steering. Oh, okay. All right, and Todd actually threw in here. He's got a project going. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. Well, I bought this interesting pop-up a couple of years ago. It's a, it's a Fleetwood. Fleetwood makes 
travel trailers, big motorhomes, all this great stuff. They bought out Coleman when they went out of business. Okay. And they decided they're going to beef up these pop-ups, but didn't beef up the axles. So I had about 34 pounds I could put in this pop-up to go camping. And Eric's <laughs> 34 been, yeah, pounds. Eric's been camping with us before, and I, the beverages take more than 34 pounds. So understandable. I just put a 6,000-pound axle underneath this thing. It's no longer going to fit in the garage, but I'm not going to be riding on one inch of the inside of the tires so now everything that goes along with that has to be upgraded because my wife has to jump into the camper now because we added 14 inches so it's just wow. an old leaf springs on this thing yeah there was leaf springs that it was underslung. now it's overslung. okay uh, we boondock so we go through there's a place in Huza where you can't get there unless you go through a ditch and so mm-hmm. the, we take the camper through the ditch and go back where nobody else is tandem axle or single single axle single. that's that's the, another interesting thing that they did single axle uh, where most everything built since then has been a tandem axle so you can support the weight that's good insurance though i mean uh, i have a friend of mine who's got an a-liner he did the same kind of upgrade and he said i think you said too uh, before we started rolling that six thousand pound axle is cheaper than a four thousand pound upgrade yeah i was uh, surprised at how cheap you can do a six thousand pound axle as opposed to doing like even a four thousand pound you think it's just because they're making more six thousand because they figure yep. people yeah. they're, they're they're basically off the shelf you yeah have, still have to order it which is weird but where do, where the, do you get the, where do you get something like that uh well, I got it from uh, was BNS Trailer Sales here in Peoria, so okay. I bought local. Uh, but when I was online doing my research, there was a place called Redneck Trailer Parts uh, out Sounds of Indiana. Is it Pekin? Uh, they make the axles for a, a lot of these places, like but an the, OEM supplier. Yeah, they're OEM supplier for a lot of the, the axles, so you have to jump into the assembly line. So it's about a three month process. You, yeah. They take all the orders from Fleetwood and everybody else, and then they throw you in when they can. Most of those are made in Indiana, anyways. Like Coleman, I think used to be yep. like Winnebago, I think was or. And Dexter Axles was actually out of Indiana, and so then this isn't a Dexter, but it's close. Same nice. designs. So you got like knobby tires on that thing, so you can take it off in the, uh, uh, the back country. No, not really. No? It's just it's just riding along trailer yeah. tires. You know. I've had two incidents now where I've done tra- trailer rescues. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a horse trailer on the side of the road in the interstate. I saw your pictures. I, I forgot to mention. And, and then last weekend, I had to go fix a, a trailer for the Scouts because they their tire blew up. Nobody puts spares on their trailers. Why? I don't know. I, I can tell you why. I have a spare on my trailer. It's a 13-inch 5-lug, and I have 15-inch 6-lug. So my spare is no good <laughs> until so I get a go to one. the farm and fleet and get the wagon wheel spare, because that's what I did for my wife's. Because when I bought my wife's horse trailer, same thing. Didn't have a spare in it. Wow. You know, to save the 100 bucks. I mean, yeah. we spent $8,000 right. on this trailer. I'll pay the extra $100. Just, just put the spare tire on there. It doesn't make any sense to me. So... But, yeah. you know, if anybody has a, a trailer problem, just give me a call because apparently I'm the guy to go but, to. Uh, I'm going to get Eric's number before we leave. So. <laughs> Side hustle. Side hustle. It doesn't pay, Daryl. Trust me. No. I think this, this podcast pays better than my roadside rescues. It might. <laughs> All right. So what's new in the world of automotive news? We, uh, we, we talked a little bit last week, uh, or last month, whatever. When it's only we been two again? weeks ago. It was only two weeks ago. It feels like a year ago. I've I've aged. You, you've, we've I've missed aged. each other, Daryl. We have, but uh, we we've got some interesting things here on the uh, international stage, and uh, one of the things that popped up in my feed, which is kind of apropos because we're we're sitting here at ICC talking about automotive tech, uh, BMW is actually investing in some tech training centers as EVs expand in their production of EVs. Uh, they continue to accelerate. Um, it's triggering some investment in the uh, U.S. training centers, and what they want to do is actually set up a training center. Uh, specifically for EV maintenance and things like that in Spartanburg, South Carolina, one in Atlanta, and I guess there's two existing ones, but they were going to expand the EV program there, one in New Jersey and California. So kind of smattered all over except 
in the Midwest. Well, I was just going to point that out. I didn't know if yeah. Todd was glomming onto that too. That uh, it's interesting. We got New Jersey, we got Ontario, mm-hmm. California. Uh, where is the middle of the country represented here? I mean, Atlanta-ish, even Chicago or something <laughs> could be. You know, right? Because there is a BMW training center in the Chicagoland area, but I don't think they're doing the EV stuff, which probably is weird. Driven by sales, maybe I don't know. It just looks at just looking at the areas that they're putting this in it's probably a high ev sales that could market. be i mean the last time i was down in florida i saw that was the first place i saw those little i3s or whatever running yeah. around and i saw yeah. a ton of them down in florida and i thought well this is weird but i don't know maybe it is based on sales volume but at any rate it was good to see an automaker put some more cash behind education i think that's that's always a benefit um gm i think and, and as i sit here i'm looking at a giant gm ASAP sign here. So, I mean, they're obviously, the automakers are still involved in some sort of educational program. Is that right, Tom? Oh, yeah, just just about every one of them. And, and, and the interesting thing is even BMW has their, their own school, but they require that the students go through a two-year program first. So a program like, oh, really? ours, like ours before you can get into the BMW. You can't uh, just have ASEs? And- uh, no, they do a step program. And, and actually, it's a sponsored program by the dealers, so they have to pay for that person to go. Now, an individual that graduates from our program can still go through, but they have to pay BMW for the training. There's no guarantee of a job. So... Uh, so it's a good incentive for somebody to kind of follow the track. Right. Uh, your your friend Elian does it too. Uh, Elon? Yeah, Elon. Elon. Come he, on, man. You could you, If you were a long-time listener, you know how to say Elon. Right. I was, yeah. I was trying to think of his car company. It was escaping me for the, for the moment. But he does <laughs> a, a, Alien? He does the same thing. He's like 15 people a year they put through their training. But they, theirs is interesting. You're guaranteed a job, but you're not guaranteed where. Really? So, so you take a 19-year-old kid that has a two-year degree, and you send him through 18 months, and then you tell him he's going to Indochina to, to work on uh, Yeah, uh, that's, so that's on the Gigafactory. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. That's I, I don't know if that's good or bad or terrifying. I don't know. <laughs> um, at any rate, it's good to see some, some money going behind uh, you know, bringing that next generation of skilled workers up. To, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get way yeah, deep into that yeah. here coming up. Uh, next article, I had actually gotten this. It was a J.D. Powers press release that came out on August 27th. So you know this is fresh. Hot off the presses, yeah, exactly. man. Uh, believe it or not, guys, that some people are annoyed by the, the, the technology in their car. This may shock. shock. Yeah, shocking. It says some alerts on advanced driver assistance systems, known as ADAS, are annoying or bothersome, and many drivers disable the systems to try and avoid them for future vehicle purchases. Automakers are spending lots of money on advanced technology development, but the constant alerts can confuse and frustrate drivers, says Kristen Coleridge. She's the executive director of the Driver Interaction Human-Machine Interface Research at J.D. Power. That's a long card, by the way. Yeah. The technology can't come across as a nagging parent. No one wants to be constantly told they're driving correctly. It's like having your wife in the back seat all the time. I think we all know that feeling, right? Mm, yep. Although... Todd's more of a newlywed, so he, it's probably still loving, loving honey and all that right, stuff. Right, as long as I'm driving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was interesting, this statistic. On average, 23% of consumers uh, that use these systems complain of the alerts that are annoying and bothersome. This ranges from 8% for some domestic brands and 30% for a couple of import brands. For these owners, 61% sometimes disable the system compared to the 21% of those who just don't want to consider the don't consider them annoying at all. So 61% turn them off, 21% just say they don't care. I can tell you this, my wife, she just flips off that maintenance required light when it comes on. And then she'll tell me a couple of days later, "Hey, the maintenance light's coming on." But she, and I imagine that's when they say sixty-one percent of people actually tamper with them or turn them off. That's probably the, the level of what's going on here. But uh, 
you have old cars. You have any cars with this kind of system? No, no. But the one thing that I always go back to, and I wrote a blog post years ago in a past life about it, is I remember when I was a kid, my grandparents traded in their Cadillac for a Nissan Maxima. And it was when Nissan, the 300Z and the Maxima had the talking voice module in it. And it would tell you, fuel is low. Door is ajar. You know, lights are on. Key is in ignition. It, probably, it probably didn't sound as deep as you. but Well, she was the best one. And there's a whole – I'll put a link up on the, on the post. Uh, I've got examples of them and stuff. It's, it's actually a neat article. But Chrysler also did this. Chrysler partnered with Texas Instruments, and they used the same voice module that did all the speak and spell and stuff like that <laughs> to do all kinds of things like, you know, washer level, low, stuff like that. And Ford started also putting in, like, the little indicators. If you remember getting in, like, a Mustang in the 80s, it had, like, your low beam on this side is out. And they'd have, like, a little diagram and stuff. Well, the, people, es- the escort with the LEDs of the light bulbs. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it was a neat idea, but people were like, this thing sucks. <laughs> All it would do is remind them of the maintenance or bad driving habits or uh, of something that needed attention. And so what happened was, over the years, we had talking cars in the early 80s. Where did they go? That was like some Jetsons flying car stuff. They got taken out because everybody like did focus poles and stuff yeah. like that. And Chrysler, Chrysler dealerships were being told they'd get a brand-new Turbo LeBaron, all these goodies on it, with all this t- tech tie-in. And they'd be, uh, this car talks too much, yank that thing out. <laughs> and they'd be, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And they stopped putting it in. So people don't like the nagging, I guess. Yeah. But We have a 17 van that will apply the brakes when you're parking. It's park assist. Mm-hmm. And... I can see in the camera. I can see the grid line. I'm still 10 feet away. I don't need you to hit the brakes. We turn that off all the time. Start-stop, that's another one. That, that's you hit the start button and then you turn off that start stop because you don't. See, on our Toyota, you, you can't turn it off. It's, I was gonna say uh, you can disable. I won't be buying a Toyota. Uh, yeah. Chrysler products, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, believe me, as the federal gets more involved, they probably will make it so they can't right. turn that off. Uh, yeah. And I think Chrysler does it. And I'm not trying to knock the first generation van. We happen to own one, but there's a lag. You let off the brake, and you're on the gas, and that thing starts up, and you're at 5K because you're halfway through the throttle because it hasn't gone yet. And so that's one of the reasons why you I drive off. like I drive. I, 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 I get real tired of squealing the tires in a minivan because people look at you real funny. First of all, for the minivan, and then is that your is that your advanced transmission over there? On, uh, no, the not yet. No. Yeah, we're start stop. Brought to you by BF Goodrich. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, but like you're saying, some you can disable, some you can't. I mean, it, yeah. we, we talked in a previous show, too, about some of these extra safety, extra tech that's been baked into the cars nowadays. And, and the disconnect is it's not helping make people that much safer because they're annoyed or they're not using the tech properly. Yeah. And there really is that disconnect. Like, who's in control? Who's driving this? And do you really know better if you're, if you're overriding that? Are you that much better of a driver? I don't know. Yeah, I, I Everybody it. feels like they're a better driver. So I got it on vacation. We had a Tahoe that they gave us to drive, and I'm going along, and the kids are going, why are you going so slow? I said, what do you mean the cruise is on? I looked down. I'm doing 50 because the car in front the of me slowed cruise, down, and yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I was like, man, i got to turn that off because <laughs> I would have passed it had I gained some distance on it. I, it down. I've had varying experiences with a laser cruise, good and bad, but I've had one where it nearly, it nearly drove me off the road because I was coming up on somebody on a turn. And they were stopped in the middle lane, and the car, it thought I was looking straight ahead. It like slammed on the brakes. I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. what was that? Frightening. I, I've done some training. It's interesting theories between car companies whether they're going to hit the brake or they're just going to alert you and give up. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's it's attorneys. Yeah. Thanks, Gabe Casey. But we we have all that stuff where you one company is going to hold the brake all the way through the accident. The other one's just going to say, hey, Eric, you're going to hit that car. We told you about it. <laughs> yeah. We did our responsibility, right? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. probably in the fine print of that when you fire up the new cars yeah. nowadays, they got like almost a legal, like 
warning, you know, disclaimer. Yeah. You know, I don't you, know. See, and that's the other thing. When you buy a new car, you don't sign off on a disclaimer like that. I don't no. think there's a contract from the manufacturer. Is there? There is. a. Every time you start our van, it comes up on the screen. Do not stare at the screen while you're driving. I agree. Yes, yeah. Like there's a terms of use, like you're signing a terms of use agreement. We have it documented in the black box. He did agree to the terms. It's not the original owner first time. It's every time you start the car. Mm. You know what I like with my new Miatas and Corvettes? An end-user license agreement. That's what I like. <laughs> so you got a supercharger? Yeah. yeah. All, so right. A- All right. So uh, we kept the news section short on this one because we want to talk to our special guest here. Again, we're at ICC. We're in East Peoria, Illinois. Todd runs uh, – should I say run? Can I say run? Uh, somewhat, yeah. Okay. Halfway runs this uh, massive operation <laughs> here at ICC. Uh, I've known Todd, like I said, through scouts and stuff, but I've also known – Todd, because this program actually bleeds a lot of technicians into the Peoria area, and he takes a lot of kids from the other vocational schools, the high schools and stuff like that, so I'm familiar with a lot of the students and a lot of the programs they're doing here. Uh, I asked Todd, uh, I think I asked you once maybe a couple months ago about doing the show, and he was interested, and we finally got our ducks in a row and got this thing happening. And I am thrilled. Thank you for having us up here. Uh, we have like 20 questions here, so let, let's just kind of blow through some of this stuff. What exactly is your position here at ICC? All right, well, the, the fancy title is program coordinator. Uh, that just means that you're going to organize things, uh, pretty much put the schedules together, run the budget, uh, manage who's teaching what classes, or, or help work through that between faculty and dean, or associate dean, and then through, through the vice president. That's the paperwork side. That's probably my least favorite part, or anybody's least favorite part of the of job. every job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then I'm a professor, and that's kind of an interesting title. Uh, I, I never walked out and said, I'm a professor. It just kind of happened one day, and it's a promotion kind of thing. Mortarboard type thing. You walk out with you know. Kind of. <laughs> uh, it's 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 an it's an odd thing. You, you wake up one day and it's on your business card, and you also wake up one day and realize you've been teaching longer than you worked on cars, and that's a kind of a terrifying thing for me coming from industry. Or you worked longer than these kids have been alive. That is true. <laughs> All um, of the realization. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my, my first and foremost job is to teach the student, and that's what I came here to do. That's why I got interested in education. I didn't set out to be in education. I was a tech. Uh, I got the the really fortunate opportunity to teach a few, well, 22 years ago uh, at Parkland College for temporary full-time. Oh, really? And then uh, after that was over, I decided this is what I was going to do. Uh, put all my ducks in that basket, went from making tech salary to making no salary, uh, and did some temporary part-time stuff until I moved over this way. Uh, so it being in the classroom, that's most of what I do. That's my primary function for the week. But then uh, I meet with every single one of my students, so I'm the advisor for the program. Uh, I mentor the kids, talk to mom and dad, uh, sometimes talk to mom and dad too much, but uh, <laughs> make sure that they get everything. We're, we're All of our programs in the CTE area are pretty much cohort. So these students are together for two years almost every single day. They're seeing us more than they're seeing their family. Uh, even the older students that have kids, they see us more. So we get pretty invested in our students, get invested in the industry. I started out as a tech. I, my passion is to make this industry better, uh, get people what they deserve to get. I'm, I guess that's, that's kind of yeah. what I do. When you say you started as a tech, did you work uh, you know, at a dealership or garage? Or? It, it was interesting. I, I Started working when I could start working. I think it was 13 detasseling corn because that teaches you a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, worked a long time before that because Dad got up at 5, so we got up at 5. I think you and I graduated high school the same year. so uh, Probably 89, yeah. You yeah. just had your reunion. Yeah. I just so had mine. Min- minimum wage is 3 and a quarter, and you could actually start work at 15. Yep. 
uh, working a regular job, but yeah, we could walk beans, do corn, we could do paper routes at 13 and 12 years old or whatever, yeah. It, it was interesting, and I, I told Eric, he said at the start of the show that I'm a renaissance man, and, and <laughs> so it, was, it was funny because a, a, a lady, I coached with her husband in, in middle school basketball, and, and she goes, every time they have a question about something, they ask me, they're yeah. like, how do you know all this stuff? I said, I grew up poor. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way that you you fix things is my dad's philosophy is it doesn't get worse than broke. Boy, I found out that's not true. <laughs> that's not necessarily how but, it works. <laughs> but you take it apart. If you can't fix it, you're still going to have to buy a new one. So yeah. uh, I started working on our old Toyota, which is kind of ironic. We had a, a Corolla back from the 70s. Uh, we were kind of shunned back in the early 80s because oh, we yeah. had all Toyota products know in that the feeling. driveway. Uh, so I got to work on that for a long time and then started flipping hamburgers to make a little bit of money when I could get a real job. A friend of mine calls up and says, hey, I work in a shop. Do you want to work in a shop? I'm like, uh, don't know what I do, but sure. Uh, so at, at 15 years old, I started there. I couldn't even drive. I was changing oil on people's cars. But awesome. I always remind my students <laughs> that my first job in this industry was scraping the paint off the front of the building. Uh, they gave me a ladder and a paint scraper. Yeah. I scraped the paint off. Well, the second day, I put the paint back on. Uh, then I mowed the yard, picked up the garbage, and finally, you know, a few weeks later, they had me fix a tire and change some oil. And then, you know, to this day, I still sweep the floor. Yeah. Uh, so you got to make sure that you start from the beginning. And, and one thing I tell them, if you're sweeping the floor, you better sweep it better than anybody else ever has because you'll never do anything more unless you get that right. Yeah. And that, that's that's hard to teach in this this. Well, yeah, world. I was going to say in this day and age of, uh, what do I say, entitlement? Is that what we call it? Um, everybody wants to come in and be a master tech as soon as they walk in the door. Yeah. That, oh, and that's we can talk a little bit about that with the vocational students, but even a lot of kids when they come out of school – you know, they think, hey, I should be moved right back to the master techs, and they don't like that. When I say, well, no, you probably should make sure you can change filters, you know, consistently for a year straight up front here. Yeah. Sorry to tell you that. That's, well, that's the hard thing for us is we, we start them off at zero, and then they get yeah. up, and they're, they're doing some diagnostic stuff, and yeah. then they go out to work, and they think, I should be doing it, and yeah. you get a reality check, you know. Yeah, there's, there's something to be said. Somebody told me when I first started, you know, there's something to be said for time in the club. Now, that's good and bad. Because there's people who have been working at a place for 20 years. We'll get to them, too. But not necessarily, <laughs> you know, should be president running everything. But at the same time, um, you got to put your time in first. And you can't just be, you know, running the shop if you've, you know, I had a really good week and <laughs> I didn't burn the place down. You think I'm qualified? That's like, yeah. yeah. Appropriate experience. Now, the one thing, uh, I've, I've been out here a couple times. Well, maybe not that many, but uh, enough times to know that this place is bigger than it was two years ago when I was out here. And you got some shiny new equipment. So yeah. you're growing, you're getting more students, more stuff going on? Yeah, we've, we've, we have been holding our own for a while. And uh, the college got a new president. I think it's been three years now. And when she came on board, uh, her focus is CTE. And when I say that, it's career technical education. Uh, her first directive was, we will not have a degree program at ICC that does not facilitate a family-sustaining wage, which means if I can't support a wife and kids, I don't need that job. Or if there's no job for the career field I've chosen, we don't need to offer that degree. And so we, we, get, we whittled ourselves down because we used to be in the hundreds. Business on that one. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> we literally were in the hundreds of degrees offered, and a lot of them didn't have anything at the wow. end. Uh, she saw automotive as a pace that we could grow. 
uh, invested a lot of money into advertising and getting our numbers up, said, I will buy you the equipment if you fill the seats. We filled the seats. The equipment's here. Now we got to find some square footage because you guys can see from what we're walking around tonight, we're stacked on top of each other. You got, yeah. Uh, and it, it's been fortunate. There's less students wanting to go into this, but we're capturing more of that market, which is really promising for us. And, and I always tell people – Everyone here is committed to our student success, and that goes from the, the ladies that come in and clean up the floor. They work with us every day, like, hey, your students really were nice and they were you know, respectful. Uh, do you guys need an extra trash can? We want to make sure that they have everything that they need, and that goes all the way up to the board and the college president with getting us the right stuff. So That helps, especially it's, it's a good reflection of the program that you guys run here. And uh, terms of enrollment at ICC ballpark, what are we talking you know, I, I haven't seen those numbers because we haven't reached this census day. It's a yeah. magic day when, when people oh. kind of figure themselves out. Uh, our enrollment's up. College-wide, our, our enrollment's down. It's, it's been down for several years. But the other – I always I hate to talk in percentages, but the, the pool of people going to college is down. Just in the general. Pool, the pool of high school seniors is down. Yeah. So we're probably getting the same percentage, but our numbers are down, which makes them – you know the tuition's down and so the the money has to go the right places so sure uh i can remember at a time i've been here over 20 years where we had more enrollment at icc than northern illinois university so uh we're still definitely not small no this is a big place and i'll be honest i mean i've lived here in peoria uh about 12 13 years now and i've driven around the campus but not really as in-depth as I did tonight. I wasn't lost. I, Is there an easier way to get into this room? There has to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then everybody will use it, and I'll have to find another uh, way. I just about but, hopped the curb, but there's always a police officer cruising around here somewhere. Right, yeah, don't turn left off Centennial because they'll get you there. Okay, uh, good tip. I've, I've heard this this building or, or campus likened to uh, they did a really good job of building a parking lot and putting a campus around it instead yeah. of building a campus and putting parking lots around it. we Built, we landlocked ourselves by putting it on the edge. So, yeah, one way in, one way out. There isn't a great way to get to Lot F. Uh, no, there's I not. I tend to come up a line I drive to make it easier, and then I come in and right turn into this parking lot rather than go through the whole thing. No, okay. I was in the wrong car when I came here tonight, but I was, as I was driving, I came in off 24 okay. to take the scenic route. And I'm like, I'm driving through there, and I'm, uh, it almost had kind of like a, like a German, like Nürburgring kind of vibe to it. Like you go <laughs> under the little, uh, the little bridge thing, and it's all two-lane, and I'm like, this could be set up to Why do Why don't we have autocross here? I yeah. was waiting for Eric to say that. I, I heard rumor that they did have it at one time, but I think it's kind of gone away. Yeah, Parkland does it, and it, and uh, we've been struggling for parking lot space. Why aren't we doing it in the summertime here once or something? You know? and, and especially I, I told myself when I was first here, we, I was on a parking committee because we have no parking spaces, yeah. literally. Yeah. Uh, and we took all the green spaces out of parking lot A and B, so now they're wide open, so there's no curbs to chuck off of. Yeah. There, there are a few that you separate. Know, Parkland actually has two cars that they sponsor. for yep. the par- the, uh, They do scholarship days. And I think Dean Plumador can uh, you know illuminate this subject, but I think Parkland's uh, – Scholarship Day is in September when they're doing the next racing over there. Because so, what they'll do, they normally do their events over in your neck of the woods in, in Rantoul. Right. But that's what, you're born and raised there, right? Yep, I was born there and moved around and yep, ended yeah. up back there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then on, on Scholarship Day, they actually use the Parkland parking lot, and they'll do the autocross there. It's a good tie-in. It's, it's, it's a good academic integration with what they're doing, you have ki- I mean, you have kids here who are totally interested in it, and I'm sure you can get a beater car from somewhere donated. I think, I think the problem with, with the Peoria market is we have more attorneys in the Peoria area oh, than yeah, they have. champagne? No, just, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> it's just always been one of those hard nuts to crack is saying, hey, how can we do this? And, and it's certainly not something that we 
we don't shy away from. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, I'm going to get talk to Joe Feaster about make some, that. Make some calls. Go. Yeah. Let's see what we can do because right. we, we need the space anyway. And I'll try not to get pulled over on the way out of this yeah. parking lot. <laughs> uh, all right. So there is an urgency nowadays. And Mike Rowe is certainly the most famous person to talk about vocational uh, training being the most important step for our youth today. Do, do you think – and i gotta use, I got to use his name because I think it, it's definitely worn – but uh, do you think he actually has an effect right now on what kids are doing with their education? I think he's helping. I, I, I really do. And, and actually, if you go out in the hallway out here, there's a poster that Micro started and our, our graphic communications department has put up everywhere where it shows the, the technician with the laptop because his high school guidance counselor said, don't go into that. Well, huh. uh, he's, he's shed a really big light on it. He's talked at USA Nationals. Uh, and he... Let's it be known, just like the president here does, if you can make a living at this, it's better than being unemployed in another career. Yeah, uh, It's just that simple. You've, we, we need people. We've created demand to repair cars. People are hanging on to them longer. The, the, the technology is there that you can't just pick it up. Uh, I started in 1987. That technology was even starting then. Yeah, You still uh, had carburetors back then. Yes. Yeah, but they they were becoming CCC carburetors. Feedback so you had, carbs. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, I, I took the old GM CCC training and all that fun stuff. I was fortunate enough to, to work for a gentleman that saw the future and bought the tooling. And that's the only thing that kept us competitive in that market. We had one of the, the Allen SEAs before anybody else had anything. We were reading codes. Wow. But you can't just pick that up under a shade tree. You know, your, right. your scan tool is $5,000. And that's a cheap one. Yeah, I was going to say. Who's yeah. going to go out and buy that and throw it in their garage? So you're saying that I can't just go to Harbor Freight and buy the $25 one? Well, it, you, you can, and you, could, done. And you I mean, can tell me the numbers, and, yeah. and you can start there. And, yeah. and a lot of techs do that. But yeah. to do the things like uh, all these things that people are turning off, the things that are selling cars, that we need the techs out here, the EV stuff. Yeah. I think just, every lube tech should have the, the $25 scanner. Yeah. I think it does everybody good to at least know what's going on. Oh, we've got some really, really good scanners that are like $1,500, $2,000. Yeah. Uh, and now Matco and a couple of the other ones have a $300 one that's doing some great stuff. One of my guys picked up the seven or $800 one from Matco, I think, and it's wireless connection on the communication port. It's yep. got a video camera on it with a scope. I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff. For under 1000 bucks. Yeah. yeah. What, what's wow. nice is we're, we're laptop-based and everything. We're tablet-based and everything, and so you yeah. can build this technology cheaper because you know, we used to have the bricks, and, yeah. and everybody had their own box. Yeah. And it was a PC, but they mm-hmm. had their own design yeah. on it, so that's helping us out a we, little bit. We had an AC that didn't work on a Ford Edge yesterday. The battery was dead on the car. You have to reinitialize the louver doors on the heater controls when yep. you... I've yeah. heard about that. Yeah. We have to they have, you reprogram them. Yeah. Uh, my buddy, uh, longtime listener of the show, uh, Ben, he's got an older Volvo and replaced the actuator for the uh, fuel door. Same thing. Had to go in there with the program, reboot stuff. and It's like, really? It's a little solenoid. Just goes window switches. Some of the GM stuff, you put them in, you got to... It's not a good place to be, though, honestly. This technology, when these guys, these engineers are setting this stuff up, you know, reinitialize this, reinitialize that. The pre-delivery inspection for the new BMW combined Toyota Supra, there was a lot of stuff in that we had to initialize, a lot of stuff we had to do that we don't have to do in our cars. I'm like, man, every time the car loses power, you got to go through and set this up and set that up. Even the RAV4, if if you lose power, you have to reinitialize the seat motors. You have to reinitialize the seat memory. All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Window motors you got to reinitialize. Crazy. Uh, you're gonna have to have a master reset button that you're, you know, shoving yeah. a screwdriver in a taillight or something. There won't <laughs> be enough YouTube videos to, you know, to get you through. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, it's it's interesting you talk about kind of bridging the gap too, because you're you're of an age where I think there's there's probably a lot of benefit to having some of that old school technology, but still be able to be you know speak digitally and, and understand where the future is going. Uh, do you find that there, especially in this generation, do you find that there's an appreciation for that, or it's like that's old, we don't care about that, we can't relate to it, we'll talk about the new stuff. I mean, it, who's there to bridge that gap? The, the irony of it is we find it all. We, we have it all. We have the ones that still want the 350 Chevy, yeah, and then we have the ones that want to take the, the you know 1.2 liter or whatever and make 9,000 horsepower out of it. So <laughs> we, we see we see all kinds, and, and they all have the same passion and same drive. Uh, and so being able to bridge the gap. I, mean, I taught electrical today, and I said, guess what? I'm going to teach you something in the next five minutes, and you'll never have to learn anything else in electricity. You just have to apply it for the rest of your career. And that's Ohm's Law because it hasn't changed. Another thing I always tell them is, I, you know, when I graduated from college, I said, I started my lectures with, I have more useless knowledge about batteries in my head than any <laughs> one person should have. And then all of a sudden they started making hybrids. And big battery packs. And then that technology was all just 2.1 volt cells put together. And what I was taught by Lane Icorn 20 years ago now makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because I never took a battery, a lead-acid battery apart and took cells out of it. I mean, you just didn't do it. Sure. But, do you ever feel like that what you're teaching the kids now, I mean, when you have these conversations like these transmissions that are torn down, I know it's, this isn't you, but when you talk about CVTs and electric cars, stuff like that, um, do you feel like maybe you're, you're teaching some dead skills? I mean, do people have to be aware that this may be something you may not work on in 10 years? I mean, how do you have that conversation? Well, we, we're fortunate. We have, a, we have a governing body just like the ASC. It's the ASC Educational Foundation now. And so they give us priority tasks. And it goes from a priority one to a priority, priority three. And they weed out that dead technology. Okay. So just like carburetors, they're no longer in our curriculum at all. We yeah. don't even show them and haven't for 10 years. Yeah. But uh, I think they look at building blocks. And so you look at where we've come for history, just a slight amount of history, to know where we're going. You still need to know why we graduated from wheel cylinders uh, into electric brakes. We still need to know that there was a push rod there once in the brake system, and there was a, an actual cable that went out and pulled the throttle. And so... I don't feel like we teach much dead technology uh, as we give them enough of the old stuff to understand where the new stuff came from. And when the old stuff breaks, you go back to the basics to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the comments from your previous shows, you know, look for uh, the zebras, not the unicorns. Yeah. We've got to know what the zebras look like before we can start looking for unicorns. True. So. You almost have to have like a history of automotive class, you know. Yeah. Let's have a one-hour class every week where we just talk about old technology or yeah, something I like had that. A, I had a former student that, God, he could tell you anything in automotive <laughs> history, like when, when a car was built. And it was great to sit there and listen to him talk, his older student. Yeah. Uh, he knew more about the history side than, than I did. So I yeah. got him up to date on the technician side. And, you know, even he knew how many IZs there were in Peoria and who That's owned awesome. them. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's cool. I, I was under my son's truck here uh, a couple of weeks ago at, at work, and I was looking for something loose in the front end. I thought I had a blown strut. I was thinking the spring was busted. Couldn't find anything wrong. Even the tie rods and the, the rack felt okay, and I can't find it. And one of my technicians, one of the, well, I would say one of the best technicians I have in the shop, walked up and said, oh, it's that link right there. I'm like, oh, the link's tight, and it's not leaking. There's, the bushing's fine. And he goes, he looked at the dust around the backside of the bolt. He's like, that orange rust right there means that thing's moving. I'm like... 
this is the stuff that you don't, you know, you just don't learn in a book. This is the stuff you get from just doing this stuff all the time and, and practical knowledge. Yeah, and, the, and, the old U-joints where you look at, you know, you, you go up there and squeeze it. You're not squeezing it to see if grease comes out. You're squeezing it to see if it's rusty underneath. Yeah. If dirt comes out, then it's done. Yeah. It's, and that's the only, the only way you're going to get that knowledge is if you've had a bunch of cars on a rack or you've had serviced customers' cars over time and you'd be like, yeah, this, this has happened before on this model or this particular thing. Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot, but uh, it, just, it takes time to, to get some of those skills. It, just, it blew me away. I'm like, he saw that in 10 seconds. I'm over here hammering, pulling, yanking yeah. on everything, and I, you got it. Anyway, uh, what about EV tech? Uh, we talk a lot about it on this show. Probably mm-hmm. disproportionately I talk about it. For whatever reason, I seem to be enamored by it. But uh, we have Rivian in our backyard, and, uh, of course, we're always talking about Tesla. Do you guys have conversations about EVs and EV tech here? Oh, we, we do have two EV vehicles in our fleet. Uh, well, they're not true electrics. We have a, a Volt and a Prius which the Prius has had some recalls that I haven't taken in for probably well, five I'll years. Take, I'll take it back. <laughs> Get a hold of that. Guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we do talk that the safety aspects, and we're getting into a little bit of the diagnosis, but we just don't honestly have the time in the two years program to go way into it. But we've been approached with Tesla and uh, Rivian both to do some further training, and, and both of them are on the same page with, you're going to have a two-year degree before we bring you into our program. So it's, it's going to be interesting in the next few years. So, so it's there on the horizon, the conversations being had. Yeah, it, the EV is on top of everything else. So you've got to have the steering suspension and all that stuff before you can do the yeah. rest of the hybrid stuff. The basics. But then there's also, yeah, there's probably even more in-depth tech because everything, you don't have push rods. You don't have some of those systems. It's all electronic. So. Well, that's all communication. That's all computers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you, have to, you have to know the basics on that stuff too, right? Start. Yeah. So um, – uh, in the year 2030. In the year yes. 2030. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're all Conan nerds here, so we can say that. When I was over here at ICC a couple of years ago and we were talking about this, they had just come out with a lot of these uh, different standards. You know, Europe and California, Massachusetts, 2030 was going to be the year that you could no longer sell a car with internal combustion in California. I mean, that seems insane. Even today to say that's 11 years from now, yeah. it seems insane. Uh, I guess this goes back to the, that same conversation, but it's not going away. So, I mean, do you think Illinois is going to follow that? Do you think we're insulated in the Midwest for these kids? I, I never say no, because well, unless it's at home. But <laughs> because you, you never know where technology is going to go. And, and when we said zero emissions for diesels, they said, oh, they'll relax that. That's not going to happen. And boom, it, it, the date was here and things were done. Yeah. Uh, so. To see 2030 happen, I don't know about the Midwest. It may not hit us first, but it's definitely going to get here. It may seep down from Cook County once you hit that, that I-80 line because we're seeing emissions testing up there. So we may see um, We talked about that a couple shows ago. I, yeah. It's coming. That's on the horizon most likely. Uh, the other thing, I, when we talk about that, and I've, I've railed about this uh, you know, to anybody who brings the subject up, but I don't necessarily have a problem with EV or how the the evolution is kind of seems like that's where we're going. You don't if you're a farmer and you're in Coles County and you've got horse trailers to pull or you've got some implements you got to take and get repaired or something like that. What are you pulling that with? It's not going to be. You mean Rivian's not the answer with their pickup truck? I'm just going to go on a dollar truck. Yeah, I'm going to say no. But yeah, that's you're going to need something that's got five six hundred. You know pound-feet of torque with maybe a diesel motor. I mean, maybe diesels have gotten cleaner, so that's kind of off the table now. But 
I don't know. It just seems like the one size fits all. Like not everybody's going to get in a Prius. Not everybody's going to get an i3 or a cutely cute little Rivian pickup or something. There's still and and coming in here too, passing a lot of that CAD equipment and some 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 big rigs. I mean, you guys have a, a diesel program here as well, right? Oh, yeah, we have two of them. Yeah. I mean, that's important to kind of keep. Uh, when we're talking about over the road trucks or mass transit in big cities, I mean, there's still a need for big mechanical diesel powered things. Is that something that is always going to be at some sort of level? To, to me, and, and where I've came from and where I'm going, it it almost has to be. But what I've been hearing in industry for ten years is we're running on dead dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. There's a finite number of dead dinosaurs out there, and so if we don't get on board with finding an alternative, then it was it was best described by a General Motors engineer. If we can if we can stave off the using up of the dead dinosaurs, then we're going to be better off. So the more alternative fuel vehicles we can put out now the longer we can push this thing back because you will wake up one day and not have any gasoline or diesel what will you do at the scout household (laughs) i don't know i can't charge batteries in my stuff because they close three coal power plants in the 100 mile radius of here too so electric i kind of wonder if that's the total answer either we're just gonna keep putting wind farms up all across the state (laughs) just drive a turbine car you know and ethanol was the answer for a while and then Hydrogen, you remember yeah. the, the whole oh, yeah. hydrogen highway initiative and Honda putting big money in that. Uh, CNG. Uh, I, I, I think hydrogen it. in a lot of ways does have some some benefits to it, but uh, unfortunately, it could explode and kill people. So I think that's you know, yeah, there's that. It's, it's always been the infrastructure. Yeah. If it's it, yeah. you know, where do you go to your local hydrogen store? At, yeah. You know, you're, I don't know. I don't either. We I need mean. to talk to the chemistry <laughs> folks here. Then I guess and go to the science <laughs> All right. lab. All right, so you've told us you're a technician, uh, which I didn't even know that about you. I thought you were just—I thought you were a pure white collar educator. So, yeah, I, I read this in a book, and so now I teach it. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I made well, that. What, what about the uh, philosophy of those who don't know teach or something like? I, I, that? I, I use that a lot. I say I'm up here because I don't know how to fix cars, but I'm going to tell you guys so that you can do it for me when I get out of here. Uh, <laughs> You always have those students that you have to grab the wrench and show them how things come loose just to yeah. let them know that you used to do this. Yeah. Uh, but but I think bridging from uh, the technician to education was really difficult in the beginning, and it's difficult for everybody that we do that with because uh, the first thing you have to do is get your hands off, and we're hands-on. It's broke. I want to fix it. Yeah. And if you can't fix it, I'm going to fix it. Well, you're not going to learn anything unless you do Yeah, that. I don't know that I can imagine a conversation where somebody's taking part a caliper or something like that. And ask questions where you just don't want to walk over there. And I know this is the way my technicians teach in the shop. They walk over and they show them how to do it. I mean, there, there is something to be said about a demonstration. There's a difference between demonstration and doing it for you. Because yeah, a demonstration, I say, I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's, you mentioned Rantoul. I, I worked in this shop at 16 years old. The best part about that shop is it was right outside of Shunit Air Force Base. Yep. The automotive training facility for the armed services. Every awesome. it, service went there. Mm-hmm. Those guys worked for us part-time at night. So when I walked up to a technician and he was working on something, I said, hey, what are you doing there, Tom? He didn't say, I'm fixing the air conditioning, kid. Go over there. He said, I'm fixing air conditioning. The high side pressure is this. The low side pressure is this. I have a napkin in my toolbox where he drew a car and explained heat transfer and taught me air conditioning in a little 20-minute seminar. And it just stuck with me because they taught me on the job the theory. And that's, that's what you have to do when it comes to demonstrating. And that was hard when I first started. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, okay, just look. This, it comes loose like this. Yeah. And they're like, 
no. So now you have to say, okay, what you have to do is you have to get a bigger wrench, you have to do this, and then you can show them. It will come loose. I have in my rules, if you're not sure something is safe, do not do it. Ask the advice of your instructor. And I tell the students, even if I told you to do it, you don't feel safe, you're going to hurt yourself. So yeah. let me show you that it's not safe, and, and we'll get it apart. Well, and, and to be honest, you know, I saw plenty of safety signs, you know, don't enter here without eye protection, this and that. And so, I mean, you your guys, you're covered here in this shop, but there is something to be said for that because I think – I hate to say, and I'm not trying to be a generational type person, but the younger kids now, I mean, I grew up at nine years old cutting grass, and my dad's like, hey, don't put your foot under here. You cut your toes off. This is moving around. Okay. (laughs) You know, like you kind of learned what you should and shouldn't do. Uh, Nowadays, it seems like there's not this, uh, like an awareness of things like, I don't know, strut compressors, compressing a giant spring, you know, like that's something that could take your head off or, uh, you know, certain things out there. Taking the danger out of it, haven't we? Uh, That's where your experience comes in because you can actually say, hey, look, this scar on my finger, that's where the strut compressor took my finger off. And (laughs) they sewed it back I know a guy who's missing missing an eye. (laughs) Right. And and, and it is a generational thing because they want to experience it now. It's not. I can't learn by you telling me. I want to experience it. Well, you don't want them to experience a bad situation. Right. And so uh, they've been told, well, go out and, and live your life the way you want to. Uh, you know, we didn't get that. If Dad said it was hot, we didn't have to figure out it was hot. We knew yeah. it was hot. It's like, yeah. I think he said that because <laughs> it's probably hot. But, yeah, you can't just uh, – a lot of the stuff in terms of being safe and – and what to do, what not to do. You, you can't just watch a bunch of YouTube clips and be like, ah, I, I got this. You actually, there's a there's a different, when it's sitting it, it on a bench help, frame. I'll tell you that, it does help. Uh, YouTube, YouTube is great. It's <laughs> a tool. I'm not saying that. It's a tool, and I explained that to the students. I said, it's a tool, but you have to disseminate the information. So that's a fancy word for saying when you see something, make sure it makes sense. Like the, the, the leaf blower turbo. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's all over the place. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let me ask you this. Is is there a perk to having this job that maybe you can get your own car worked on? Uh, it is a, it's a perk and a curse all at the same time. <laughs> let me just – I'll preface it with that. I, I drive a – It's kind of like my perk at my work too, yeah. Yeah, 195,000-mile Cadillac Escalade uh, – Beautiful truck with the rust all over it now. Uh, you and Daryl can, I mean, you probably share drive trains, we'll, don't you? We'll commiserate. Yeah, you probably got a six liter, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing available in the Cadillac. But we do a shop practices class. I bring faculty, staff, student cars in. They don't get charged labor. They pay for parts. We fix it. Uh, when I need something done, I have my students work on it. I'm here just like I am with everybody else's car. I don't stand over the top of my own car. But I. I've had people ask me through the years, why do you let students work on your car? Because sometimes it doesn't go right. Sometimes it doesn't go right on other cars. Yeah. It, it happens in dealerships. But I, I feel yeah, like I wouldn't be, be true to myself or my student if I didn't let them work on my car. Yeah. If I said, you're good enough to work on other people's stuff, <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm, going, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. If I said, I really want to do this myself, I've, I've been yes. there, I've done that. I don't really want to do it myself anymore. So <laughs> there, there is advantage. The biggest advantage is not having to buy tools. Oh, I, yeah. We have every special tool here, so I th- this shop is great. I don't lay on my back. I don't. Uh, oh, the, and the floor is clean enough to eat off of. I, mean, I was going to say the floor in here is cleaner than my basement floor. It, it's the, ridiculous. The floor is awesome. actually pretty dirty right now, but that's the the yeah. view that I have of it now. Yeah, whatever. So. Out in that shop, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I ate French fries off the floor. I hope it's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know whose they were. Um, so we got some other just some pad questions here. So if, we, if these seem like they're disjointed, I think we were kind of. Todd and I were actually going through this document at the same time yesterday, throwing questions out. He was throwing answers. but uh, So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask, like, why ICC? Why should somebody choose ICC? There are other vocational schools, and I get, actually, Toyota 
doesn't list ICC as one of their preferred schools, but they have these other places out in Iowa and got Cincinnati well, or wherever. Because Toyota probably remembers us as the the best kept secret in Central Illinois because <laughs> nobody knows that we have automotive, and I hear that so many times, and I've been here yeah. twenty years. Yeah, I didn't know this place existed. Well, I don't know where you missed the giant door out uh, there, two giant doors. Huge, but. Uh, I joked with Eric, and I said, you know, we're the smart choice. That's our tagline now here at ICC, and, and it's kind of true. Uh, other institutions don't they don't have me, uh, for one, but and that's tongue-in-cheek. I've been doing this 20 years. Uh, you see a lot of turnover in some of the private schools, the, the cost here at ICC. I can get you – this is with tools, with books, tuition. We're less than $14,000. Wow. That's degree. That's two years associate degree. That's two degree. years. Wow. That's uh, incredible. I talked to two gentlemen, and I was not changing their mind at an at a event at Pekin High School, and both of them said they were going to UTI. I said, oh, really? You're all signed up? Yeah, I'm signed up. They had the T-shirts on. They were ready to go. I said, okay, great. I said, how much is that going to cost you? He goes, I don't know, somewhere around $60,000. Is that plus room and board? Cause no, that's without room and Yeah, plus yeah, room and yeah, board. Yeah, because if you're here and you live locally, you, you save in that aspect. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and we do, if you live if you live locally and don't want to live at home, we do have the, the yeah, have View Commons yeah. here, the campus housing, which is, has been real real good for a lot of people. No hour drive. We've that's got some kids that are within an hour. Fairly new, right? Is it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's in the last six years, I want to say. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I'm, you know, I've had three or four friends of mine that I you know, went through high school with and, and still keep in touch with, they all went to WyoTech, and they, they got a great experience. They're all doing very well. Most of them wound up going in collision repair and refinishing, stuff like that. So, uh, and they all actually own their own businesses, and they're, they're doing great. But it was not cheap. And just like a lot of you know, four-year schools, things like that, where you, you get into it and then you spend the first 15 years of your professional working life paying back student loans or longer, depending on what you're doing. I mean, WyoTech's a great school. UTI is a great school, I'm sure. But when you're talking in terms of bang for buck and something local where you can still. Dude, 14 grand, that number You can't beat that. No, I think, uh, you know, I don't. Uh, that's cheaper than cars people buy, you know. These kids with tuners are spending that much on a car. You could have a whole education, so. Right, absolutely. Um, so. It was a famous case. ITT, like, exploded, what, two years ago? All those kids were in their the middle of their educations. And that was basically a private school. It, it, was it pump? Was it like a stock market funded school? I mean, was it? It was. It was odd situation. It was. It was eligible for financial aid, but it wasn't a degree program in all of their programs. And they yeah. partnered with some schools to to offer associates. So you took your gen eds at a community college and then came back and got a. It, it was odd. But so it's like a factory school. But I mean, it's basically they're making money schooling people, but they have no no conscience for the. Uh, they, they lock the doors. Yeah. They they literally like on a Thursday lock the doors to the school, so you had no records, you had no yeah. anything, no access. And and the problem with a lot of these, Wyotech's a good school. You, you, the sheer numbers that they bring in and the the ones that come out that are decent aren't there because we have the same thing here. We have some attrition, uh, but their credits don't transfer. That's so what I was going to say. So something if you got happens, midway through the program, you're done. Yeah, and, and I'm part of a state association for community college instructors, and we're all what used to be called NATEF, which is ASE Educational Foundation. And so most NATEF schools, if I wanted to transfer, I had a kid from northern Illinois thought he wanted to move away from home, came down here. Got one semester in, decided he didn't want to move away from home, so he went back up to, to uh, Rock Valley, transferred his credits up there. He transferred some down here. Yeah. Because of the degree program, you can do that without the degree kind of left out to dry you can't you can come to me and i can transfer in your classes i'll gladly take them for you know a, a two and a half semester well you still got to take my three-hour class because mm-hmm. there's no half semester class that you could take so because yeah. of this uh, big push in the 
uh, we were talking about Mike Rowe earlier. Are four-year universities changing their tune? Are they doing more of this? Or do you still feel like a two-year university like ICC is still the better place? Well, I'm not, not saying you wouldn't say it was a better place, but do you, is there more competition from these bigger schools now respecting this aspect? Uh, actually, in the automotive trade, they, they have always respected the two-year schools because they just know they can't take all those freshmen in. And the tradition for the last 20 years, and it's gotten way better at ICC, was about 50% attrition. I mean, 50% of the people wouldn't make it out that started. Wow. And so say I started 30 people, we'd have 15 finish. Well, if that happens down at SIU, they don't have juniors or seniors. Yeah. So where do they get those? They got them from our programs. And so they've always taken ours in. Uh, it's uh, SIU is a 2 plus 2. They call it a capstone. We have a written articulation agreement, just needs some signatures uh, to where there's no questions asked. Uh, we had a girl go two years ago, graduated in three semesters because of the classes she took here no rather than four. So wow. uh, I always tell students, no matter what degree it is, when you go here for your first two years and transfer to a four-year school, you get the same diploma as the person that went there all four years. Absolutely. And probably have a better GPA. That I agree. <laughs> we, I used agree. To get, we used to get monthly emails that said how our students stack up next to the students that were whatever started their freshman year at these schools and we were one usually one gpa point higher in mm-hmm. most cases and that's western u of i all these places well and i hate to say but i think back to when i was 18 19 20 and even when i was you know in my early 20s i thought i had it figured out and i didn't and i i wish i would have gone back and gone to a two-year school figured out got grounded still kept working maybe part-time put some more money away and by the time you're 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 ready to go whatever that next level is you kind of matured a little bit and especially i hate to say this uh especially as a as a dude but i think guys take a little longer to mature no. Yeah. Seriously? Maybe just like 10 years. Like 60, 65 <laughs> years. Like, uh, do, you, do you have a lot of, in terms of gender, is it, is it changed in the 20-some years you've been teaching? Uh, oh, is there yeah. a lot more female students? This has been an interesting thing for me because my first class I ever taught had a female student in it. So I never thought it was anything different. I, it, one of the technicians that was in the Air Force, uh, I always liken her to a Barbie doll. She was six foot four, blonde hair, you know, big manicured nails, could work on anything. Yep. And she taught the guys in the Air Force. So I didn't realize women in the automotive industry was something different until I was teaching that first class. And a girl walked into the shop, and all everything stopped. And they turned and stared. And I'm going, what is wrong with you people? And I've had females and students in my classes uh, just about every semester. We have four in our freshman group. Uh, it was kind of funny. About five years ago, the GMASEP had their first female graduate from the program since it had been here and it made the paper and it made the board <laughs> that's and still trustees news, right that's it was crazy, it was it? it was new it was a milestone for them deep pets had a female student uh I, I will probably get crucified from most of the male technicians out there but i could tell you i would rather have a female technician working on the car attention to detail organization uh thought process it's just it's amazing what, what women in our industry can do yep uh we've seen that shift our, our target market now is that 28 year old uh, job retraining stuff because guess what they've matured a little bit they're a little more focused yeah. uh, they understand what they're looking for in a job and so that that's been something we've been working with too huh that's interesting so you know when i was a kid there was a pontiac had the vocational school that kids from livingston county would go to and it was basically you'd ship the kids who, the kids who didn't learn well in traditional learning environment would go to the vocational school and they would be in the auto tech program stuff like that are we getting away from that? We are definitely trying to, and it's been a, it's been a challenge. It's a challenge for the high school counselors. It's a challenge for the, the administrations. Uh, I, we always affectionately called some programs a dumping ground. You took anybody that couldn't wasn't on the college track, 
they went to the Votech building. Yeah. And so, and, and you could see this in the architecture. The Votech building was off to the side of the high school, and you just yeah. shipped them out the door. Yeah. 20 miles away like ours was. Next right. to the parking yeah. lot where you get in the, you know, as soon as you're out, you get in the car and go home. Yeah, it, and so it was, it, it's been interesting. And then now that there's not jobs for those college track students and the jobs are in vocational education, we have administrators that maybe I went to school with that get it. Uh, Joel there in Pekin, he gets it. He understands that they're building a great CTE program there. Other area high schools are trying their best to get this stuff going. We have admissions requirements to all of our transportation areas. Most of our programs here at the college take a minimum SAT score or at least a placement score to get in. And I'm not keeping people out. If you score below that, I didn't come up with this magic number. I didn't say, I'm going to be Harvard on the Hill and we're going to have everybody get a 1,200 on our ACT. I just looked at the number of people that graduated and what their test scores were. Nobody graduated under the score that I require. I was setting people up to fail. I'm bringing you in without the minimum skills to be successful. So guess what I do? I don't put you in my program and make you pay me a bunch of money to fail. I put you in the remedial classes that the community college arena offers to give you the skills to come back a year later and be successful in our program and graduate at the end. So now my attrition went from 50% to about 20%, which is a milestone. When I came in, we graduated five people that first semester, Mm -hmm. and now we're consistently in the 15 to 25 to 30 to 35. It's been pretty awesome to watch it grow. Well, in this field, too, I would think anything automotive-related, you also have the opportunity that if you can get somebody who's maybe struggled with math or struggled with some of the other core essentials, STEAM courses now, I guess. They used to be STEM, now STEAM, whatever. <laughs> um, they added arts to I it. I thought STEAM was like a computer software program where you could build whatever you wanted. I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't, I don't know what STEAM is. Yeah, it used you know. to crash the computer at home. I told him you can't have it. I <laughs> can't don't <know>. do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I remember, and I was not a very good math student, but I was better at English. I was better at writing creative stuff like that. But but if I got to a point where, I mean, I remember sitting in a in a – drivelines class senior year i had to study hall and i was bored and i'm like i'm just going to take you know some automotive stuff and i did and i had a i had a blast but i could finally start applying things like ratios and talk about what an overdrive does versus a you know one-to-one versus a you know gear reduction things i could i could finally start to apply that because when you're when you're talking story problems and algebra and trig and all this stuff you're like this means nothing i don't get it but if you're talking about I'm going to take my, you know, the rear axle and I'm going to make the RPMs drop and get better mileage on a highway. I could see that. Do you see some some kids, uh, I say kids, but young adults' eyes light up where they're kind of, oh, I kind of get some of this now. Yeah, it definitely happens in our programs and, and just in the core courses and the automotive stuff. I don't teach algebra. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not teach algebra. My students ever, if they ever listen to this, we brush don't off. teach algebra. <laughs> right, right. But we do some math. And I just say, we're going to do some math. And we draw some pictures, and we do gear ratios, we do algebra, we do Ohm's Law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't know it's algebra. They're not taking Math 110. They're taking Auto 114. And so they can do math. I stick them in, an, in a Math 114, and we're talking about trains traveling this direction from that direction. They don't care. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we've done in our gen ed courses, our general education, our math, our English, our communications, we do what we call conceptualized learning. Uh, for example, they can take Math 110 or they can take uh, Ag Business 118. I know it sounds weird because it's Ag Business, but the math book for that class is Mathematics for the Automotive Trade. So now everything is tailored around an automobile. People that failed out of 
math four in high school are getting A's in Ag Business 118 because we're conceptualizing it. We do it with speeches. We do mm-hmm. it with uh, technical writing. We had a great instructor here that, that's since moved on to a, to a higher education, but she was putting stuff together. Uh, instead of writing an essay, we were writing memos to the factory about a, a known problem to try and get a TSB. We were writing TSBs. We were writing service reports. Cool. Uh, I tell my students, if you don't get this, people are on me. Give me a certificate. Just give me the automotive classes and let me go. No, because you're no good for Eric. You're not good for our no. industry. If you can't communicate with your customer, if you can't write a clear picture, why am I paying you $120 a labor hour? Yeah. If you just say it's broke and I fixed it, yeah. right. you don't earn that. Yeah. Well, well, my folks had one of their vehicles. They got an older Saturn, which they still love. It's a little 2008 view. <laughs> These guys, Cavaliers an and orphan, Saturns. An orphan. And, and, and it is. But it's Astros, nice. Astros, you name it. This is it's anything that should be off the road, my family has. But they, they've taken it uh, to Chevy dealer they've gone to since they were, you know, newlyweds. And my dad sends me a video. He goes, check this out. This is what Raymond Chevrolet is doing now. And it's a video. And it's a mechanic who comes through, does the inspection, and walks you, again, like a four-minute video. Hey, Mr. Scott, notice your uh, uh, trans cooler lines are leaking fluid here. And, you know... And he sends it to it's it's personalized, and he walks through. He's like, "This is going to be about two hours to replace. Uh, be guarantee on the parts. Can't guarantee the radiator because that looks like it might be going there. You know, whatever it is." But he does this nice personalized thing, and I'm thinking to myself, "Man, 25 years ago, you just you need the hoses changed. Okay, done, dude. Now you have nope. to be a videographer. You got to be social media expert. You got to have some business acumen, right? This is everything in our industry right now, and I." I, I I'm dealing with dinosaurs walking around my shop who can't do this and guys who need to learn how to do it because this is where the customers are at. I, not to, to hijack the show, but on Friday I had to work the desk last week, and I was talking to a customer, a young lady, professional from, from your hospital, I think, where she works, nurse, mm-hmm. doesn't have much time. I walked in. I said, hey, your tires are kind of off here. I'm wondering if you're even steering straight down the road. She's like, oh, no, I'm not. I, I veer off to the right all the time. Okay, we need alignment. We need tires. We talked about it. She's like, okay, I want to do this. And I presented everything, showed her everything. And it was an easy transaction because you have to vocalize and show and demonstrate all this stuff. And there's so many people in this industry that I call cowboys, you know, that basically they got the, the aviators on. They're standing at their desk with the sleeves pushed up on their on their BF. <laughs> their good I've got an jack, image. Their good yeah. wrench jacket. And like, yeah, you need tires on that. They're shot, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of guys still out there doing the job like that. And you say there's a little more finesse that's required by today's I'm consumer. I'm telling you, today's consumer is not going for that. Yeah, I, I went into a shop and the guy had his you know eighth button down the gold chain. He says, "Hey, what's happening, Bud?" I said, "My name's Todd." Uh, <laughs> bud. We, bud. we used to hide people in the back lot. That's where the technicians were, right? Service drive was out yeah. front. We put yeah. the people in the suits. Uh, we pay eighty thousand dollars for a car now. We want to see who who's working on it, who's touching it, who's yeah. sitting in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I tell my students: if you can't articulate. You're not getting in an eighty thousand dollar car. That's the missing component. That's that's that that's that missing link. I think that uh, a lot of folks don't teach. You can teach a lot of skills like you you teach in these walls here, but one of the things I think people might not give a lot of credence to is is that customer service approach. Right? That business. I say business acumen, but you do. If you're if you can't talk to people, yeah, you, you have. When I was pulling in here tonight. Suburbans, Tahoes, I mean, every one of those, you know, 70, 60, 70, $80,000 vehicle. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, this is, this is big stakes now. It's not just a $9,000 Cutlass Sierra you're having to service. I mean, when people bring in a family vehicle nowadays, that's as much as a house costs. And you wonder why they're dissatisfied, you know, with transactions? Yeah, I mean, if you went to the dentist and had some of the service transactions, you'd, you'd never go back to that dentist again. One, one of my greatest quotes, and I, I use this in my classroom, there was a, a 
pull. I don't know if J.D. Powers or who. Who do you least likely want to go to? And it used to be Dennis. Yeah. It was always Dennis. We ranked above Dennis two years ago. Yeah. People would rather go to the dentist than get their car worked. <laughs> yeah, I can believe I, I blame nitrous oxide in the dentist, the sedation <laughs> dentistry. It t- it's far too easy, yeah. But uh, it used, be far, more pa- but used I, to be far more painful. Yeah. I, I explain, explain to my two students that no matter what they're doing, they're not happy. They're inconvenienced. Yeah. If you're hanging a new accessory, it's going to take too long. If they're buying a new car, it's it's... And it's making sure that they're treated right, done right the first time. What, what do you mean you have my transmission in two hours? <laughs> well, and, and some of this, too, though, I, I may hate to I use YouTube as an example earlier, but someone's like, oh, I think I hear a noise. I'm going to watch a YouTube clip. Oh, I think it's this. Have we, have, are we starting to migrate away from the era where, oh, I can do this myself, but I'll take it to the shop because I don't have time? Because the stuff you... Today, you can't do yourself. There is a there is a lot you can you can rotate tires. I got a guy down the street who has a new Ranger and he's rotating the tires in the driveway on a gravel driveway with a jack. And the guy across from him, we'll sit there and drink beer and he's like, What an idiot. He's like, I, I watched the guy rotate his tires with one jack and one jack stand. I'm like, How are you? Why? That's yeah, yeah, that's what this know. guy does. He goes, You know, uh, the dealer will do that in like twenty minutes. Yeah, no, I don't gotta pay him though. Do, do it here. Yeah. It makes no sense. So, I mean, are we at that age now where between the tech, between the, the stakes, between the, the amount of training that you need, like the whole I can change my own oil, is that kind of becoming a thing of the past? I mean, both you guys could probably answer that. It's, it's probably not a thing of the past. There is YouTube out there, and, and people will get on there and find out how to fix the small stuff. But the big stuff yeah. where we need the education, we got to invest in the tools, they're starting to pay for it. And that's why they're doing the small stuff because yeah. the labor rates are getting there. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough because, like myself, I won't pay an electrician or a plumber in my house unless it's something I absolutely can't do. And I think yeah. there's some people just like working on their cars that think they're working on their cars. Just like me thinking I'm an electrician, you know, I'll, I'll sure. hang I'll hang a ceiling fan, you know, I'll change a light switch. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to rewire something. So you I, get that breaker panel in so there. So I think and... if, you, if your hobby is something to tinker on your car, if you think you can change oil, hey, more power to you because you're a dying breed. You uh, know. The other thing that I try to, to instill is that we think differently than the average consumer. When, when something breaks, I think of how I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Uh, the average consumer is where am I going to take it to get it fixed? Or how am I going to replace it? Because a lot of people just a, a, right. a, a replace it culture. It's not even disposable it mentality. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, and and that's yeah. We can talk for hours about that. But I mean, as as far as schools like ICC, do you envision you know in the next five ten years? Do you see programs like yourselves? Uh, just continuing to grow to kind of evolve or just kind of maintain as as things transition in terms of EV and, and the new rollout of some of the technology? I, I see us growing, uh, and I've, I've always saw us growing. The need has been there. The, the education's been there. We've been here. What we're finally getting is that component. Eric has been on board with us forever. There's dealers in this area that have been on board with ICC for the last 20 years, uh, hiring our students, getting our, our the stuff we need. We're seeing the ones that were resistant to change going, I could just hire somebody to do this job. Finally realizing, hey, they're not out there, and I'm going to have to pay the ones I have. And so as we see the wages go up, we're not starting a minimum. We're not starting even $10, $12. We're getting in the $14 an hour range starting out on an internship. Uh, then you're going to see people want to be in this industry because the job's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, The manufacturing, they're 14 to $16 an hour starting out. So it's easy for a kid to want to go into welding and do some production welding, which is a great career. But if you've got an interest in cars, now we can match that salary. We couldn't do that before. We yeah. had other industries coming in and just swiping our graduates. Well, that's kind of what happened to me the last two years. I watched a bunch of my guys walk out the door, whether it was a guy's machining railroad wheels down the road or whether it was Terminix or some you know, bug company. Like, what are they paying these guys? What, you know, what's going on? But 
really there's, there's been a groundswell coming up from minimum wage. I mean, it, mm-hmm. this $15 thing we always talk about, that's that's going to happen regardless because what's happening is the market's driving it up as it is. So right. yeah. we have no choice but to compete. Uh, Dr. Bailey, the president of ICC, she does a good talk, and she did a really good talk at our automotive summit about uh, – the days of you stealing the 30-year master tech from him and him stealing the 30-year master tech for you, they're over. Because guess what, guys? They're no 30-year master techs. They're retiring. All and I did was you get those guys get raises, one. too. When I did yeah. that, I tried to get two guys in last year. All yeah. I did was succeed in getting those guys $5 raises. And then, like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'm good. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm turn this down. I got a raise. Yeah, I know. I'll definitely be coming down. <laughs> I'm going to come down in a week later. Yeah, they talked to me. Because I would do the same thing. If I had a valuable technician leaving my shop, I would do everything possible to keep that guy there, knowing that the replacement value may almost be twice that to try and get somebody trained and get them in in that same position. It's difficult for me now to answer the phone and try to be politically correct when a shop that I've never heard of calls me up and says, hey, can I get a graduate? And I say, yeah, I just got a pool of them sitting by my desk here waiting for you to call. I'll I'll send you one down tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, There's been ones that have been involved for 20 years. Grow your own doesn't mean we just take a seed and throw it out on on Monday and it comes out on Friday. We're we're a two-year commitment here. Yeah, there's a lot more of cultivating uh, relationships and things like that that you do. Uh, not only locally, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have probably far-reaching. You have you have contacts outside of Central Illinois for sure. Well, we right? have contacts everywhere. I've been doing the internship program. It's the end of their their time here. They go out and work for eight weeks, and I call it the tryout because yeah. when I took over this position, people weren't leaving their job. They weren't going into the industry, and so I put this internship at the end so that I force you to go 40 hours a week the last eight weeks you're in school. So guess what? You quit that part-time job and you go and work in our industry. Best graduate that year was a manager at Pizza Hut. Guess what he did after he walked the stage? He was a manager at Pizza Hut. Frustrated me to no end because he didn't want to take that leap. I force it now. But I've built these relationships where uh, certain auto groups in the area will grab seven graduates. They want seven interns every time. I did two separate internships because I had 26 graduates, well, 26 potential graduates last year. So I had to split my interns in half. So some the first eight weeks, some the second. And there was one dealer in Peoria took seven on the first and five on the second. Wow. That's 13 people out of a class of 26. That's amazing. And I, the thing is, they're replacing somebody with those people. Nobody's growing that much in this area. So. No, nobody's growing. It's attrition. Yeah. You uh, think? I, I know, I won't name names, but right down the road from you, there's three guys with over 35 years. Now, see, my shop's so young. My, yeah. yeah, I have one I have one guy who's older than me. The rest of the shop is probably averages 15 years younger so, than me. So fast forward. 15 years from now. Yeah. Is, is your youngest guy going to start moving up? Yeah. Because we got to get him to that training now. And that's yeah. where I really push the dealers. Is once they graduate from here, they're not done. Yeah. They're, they're baseline. Yeah. we got to get them that training. And I always have a term, there's a guy that's going to grind it out. And we certainly feel that need in the industry. The one that's good enough to work for you and produce. He's not going to be your master tech, but he's going to make money for you. Then we give you one that's going to be a master tech. Please don't leave him on a loop wreck and let him die there. Yeah. Get him to that training and get him to move forward. There's so and many grow variables, that man. I, I've watched now. Now doing this job for a decade, I've watched guys diamonds in the rough that uh, just thought we're going to be million dollar techs who just couldn't get it together. I watch other guys that I gave no regard to during the interview work their butts off and just and just work through. You you can't yeah. predict the work ethic of these people. You just got to be patient and just try and cultivate no, I, what you can out of them. I love it when people say, do you want to see my high school transcripts? I'm like, no, I really don't. I <laughs> don't want to know what you did in high school. Because it's over. High school's over. Uh, Steve Watkins, he's retired from IVC. He had a student come here. God, it's been 
a long time. I just talked to Ryan the other day, which was a student. He was voted by the faculty least likely to be alive in 10 years. Oh. I mean, the kid was wild. He, yeah. he painted his I don't remember fiesta, that was my yearbook. No. His fiesta <laughs> like the General Lee. It was bright. He got a oh. brush painted it orange with the flag on the top because he got bored. I mean, he'd do some outrageous drawings during a lecture, you know, just crazy stuff. But he was like a sponge. He was, yeah. he was that bored kid in high school that got F's. He made it out the other side of graduation, and that kid took off in this industry. He interned at CarX, which maybe wasn't the greatest, but a month later he was the manager of the store. Yeah, that's how quick this kid progressed. Now well, he's working for IDOT. I mean, he's the field technician. Him. They just did a write up on him last winter. He's a field technician for five counties. He's the one guy that goes out and fixes the snowplows and they're broke on the side of the road. No, I like the guys who work at places like CarX and Meineke and stuff like that because they actually work on everything. Yeah, they're, they're generalists, yeah, right? They can yeah. uh, they know, they can work on AC. They can do brakes. They can do whatever. And they don't and they don't discriminate. You know, whether it's a Ford or a BMW, they'll work on it. They, you yeah. know, they they're used to getting paid just to get the job done, not just yeah. being picky about. Oh, I don't work on that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I came from the independent. That people say, "What cars do you like?" I said, "I like them all because they're all going to break." I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. a, a, a car is a wear item. I'm yeah. guaranteed it's going to break. So, what was your first car, though? Just before we move on, uh, my oh, first yeah. my first car that I drove on the road was a 1984 Olds Omega that I bought off a dealership lot. Now I had a before that I had a '66 Triumph Spitfire, which I never got on the road. I had sold it when I went to college. I, well, that's a whole long story. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, bit, I'll send you some links. There. Okay. I, I, bought a, I bought a Plymouth Scamp from a friend of mine, uh, jacked it up one time, and the, the jack went up through the frame. So <laughs> that's what I traded in on the Oldsmobile and put that on the road for a lot of miles. What would you, what'd you get for the trade-in? Uh, I don't even remember. 50 I mean, bucks? I, I bought this Olds Omega with 30,000 miles on it. I had a payment book. That's what I got for my 16th birthday was a car payment book. Oh, I said, Dad, go. is this my present? He goes, yeah, I let you buy it. Dude, that's hardcore. It's present enough, my, right? My dad would have never let me do that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, I think it was 2500 something like that yeah. it was crazy <laughs> the iron duke 25 uh or yeah was it the six? no it was a 28 two eight. yeah 28 even better hey, it was what, a 28 ho with a varijet carburetor on top so it was it was screaming eagle those are awesome one, one last serious question before we exit this whole interview part um Please tell me, I, I'm not going to have any more people show up in my store and say, I hate computers or I don't have an email. You're getting rid of these people, right? Well, we, we do our best. Because uh, I, I, there's a couple dinosaurs in my shop that every time they say that, just raises the hair on the back of my neck. I'm like, please, a slow burn. please retire, yeah. please retire. Every class that we teach has a Blackboard site, which is a computer site, so yeah. they have to do that. Most everything they turn in is on the computer because... Honestly, we're not doing paper service manuals. We're not doing paper work orders. So if they're coming through this program, they're on a computer. They've got an email because we give it to them when they start, so they have an email address. Uh, I can remember service information was new on the computer. I had to teach people how to use a mouse. Uh, now <laughs> I just tell them, hey, there's a service information. It's Windows-based. Thumb through it. Shoot some, shoot some baskets. Uh, I always liken everything to free throws. We have a three-hour lab. If you do a ball joint and you do it in 10 minutes, do 10 more. Because you have those three hours to shoot those free throws. Mm -hmm. Do you think I, the first time I did a brake job, said, oh, I've done a brake job. I don't need to do another one. I'm a master now. <laughs> so I tell them, you know, what are you going to do now? You're going to shoot some free throws. It's the same thing when they get in and start messing with service information. The computers are always open. Look your own car up. Yep. And once they start figuring that out, say stay off of YouTube uh, unless you get the right information. Now, we did talk about this out in the shop earlier. and We were kind of taking a tour. You you had a great slogan. I didn't hire a one. Or no, what did you say? Take your arm and strap it behind your back. Oh, I, I, oh the cell phones. The, the students <laughs> using their cell phones. They always want to turn the light on, and and we gave them a rechargeable drop light. Now as part of our required tool list because 
it's got a magnetic base and they could hang it on things. I always tell them, I say, take one hand, put it behind your back, put a wrench in the other, and that's what you're like when you have your cell phone. You're working one-handed. And yeah. <laughs> even the best one-handed technician is never going to produce like if they had two hands. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I think I'm going to make a sign and put it in my shop. Yeah, it would help. Yeah. Plus, you don't want to necessarily be having the eighty-weight gear lube on the on the cell phone case later. Uh, th- what's you? great is when they they say, "Okay, well, I'm going to get a flashlight to get the eighty-weight on the end of it, then stick it in their mouth so they can work with both <laughs> hands." That's <laughs> that's a life lesson. Num num. <laughs> awesome. Do you, do you got? I mean, I think we went through a lot of these questions, Daryl. Is there anything we missed here? I don't think so, Todd. Is there something we didn't ask you that you want people to know about you or your program here? Uh, Real simple, quick plug for our program. If you go to icc.edu forward slash auto, uh, that'll get you a direct link to our beautiful website. If you go to the regular ICC website, we're hidden. The best-kept secret in central Illinois. (laughs) Hidden once again. You may find our curriculum, but it's pretty boring. If you get on the other site, you'll see some uh, videos and some other stuff and links to our Facebook page. got a decent amount of space on this campus for being so hidden. Uh, Yeah, I always said I tried to fly under the radar, yeah. and that nobody knew my name. They knew my email. Uh, now it's it's getting more mainstream. I'm trying to get involved with, with more students and bringing some more attention to us. And the president, when she took her spotlight from the ivory tower and put it right on our building, that let us know that she was here. She One of the first things she did, it was a great thing, is have a meeting in this building. I don't think the past presidents had even knew where this building was. Man. That's incredible, and that that's it shows a little bit of vision on her part, a lot of vision. So that's yep. great. Also, being on this podcast, you're, you're going to blow up. It's going to be huge, <laughs> definitely. Going to be huge, yeah, <laughs> huge. Is it uh, is it that time, Eric? It is that time. Uh, didn't think we'd actually get to it here. Uh, we're actually not doing too bad. We're 90 minutes into this show, so it's time for your moment of Musk. All right, this week Elon Musk is going to Shanghai. It's rumored he's going to unveil the first China-made Tesla Model 3 at an event on Thursday. Uh, He'll kick off the World Artificial Intelligence Conference, WAIC for short, in Shanghai. I didn't get tickets. With a fireside chat. (laughs) I can only think of FDR and uh, Elon, you know, merged in one. Anyway, with Alibaba co-founder Jack Ma. Another one I wouldn't see on a fireside chat either. Musk confirmed he has plans to launch a Chinese division of his boring company during the trip, and both of these things don't have much to do with the Tesla, but Shanghai is also where Tesla is currently building the Gigafactory 3, the automaker's first Chinese factory. Now, local media are suggesting he's going to unveil the first China Model 3 at WIAC. And that is your moment of Musk. Wouldn't it be nice if he sat down and said, hey, Let's have a conversation about what's going on in Hong Kong. Yeah. Maybe he'll ta- hearken back to the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square disaster. Maybe he'll talk about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, on a fireside chat, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, things relevant. To- I mean, he'll pop off about the big three and say, you know, nobody gives a crap about gas stations. But you think he'll say anything about democracy or people dying in the streets? Yeah. Free speech goes over really well in Shanghai. <laughs> I-, I just want to know when... when- they did the fireside chats before they had to pick the, the breed of dog. I'm wondering which breed of dog's going to be sitting next to the fireplace for this one. That's, that's a very, very insightful. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I'm not going to that conference, though. Oh, Eric's okay. got tickets. I don't know. I think during the Olympics they had to hide the dog. That was Sochi. That oh, was, that oh, was Sochi. Hmm. But that's because there were so many strays. Have you been to China? No. Of all your world travel, either you no. gentlemen? Have you? No, I have not. No. Is, is it on your bucket list? I don't think so. I want to, but I always hear about people pooping in the streets, and I don't want to be involved with that. So That's probably a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> What's up next, Eric? <laughs>
So, this is the section of the show where we wind this whole thing down. We've been sitting on these fat digital wallets. We've been thinking about how we could spend money if we had two or $3,000 or ten in our pocket. Mm-hmm. What would we buy? So, we get on the websites like Bring a Trailer, Car Gurus, and eBay, and, and we say, Oh, there's a 78 Volari I want to buy. Yeah. It's still for sale, by the way. <laughs> no that way. red one in Metamora? <laughs> it's, it was four grand, I think, when we looked at it. Yeah. It's like 3400 I'll bet before winter it goes down. Maybe get it for 2800 <laughs> no. I, I'll keep you posted. Slant, I'll set a price get alert. Get myself a slant six coupe and re- triple red. Did it have a vinyl red top on it, too? Uh, it might have. I don't remember. It would, it would look great on the autocross. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, this week uh, I found myself breaking out the Bitcoin and the uh, the cyber currency for a 1986 Subaru Brat that was on Bring a Trailer. Yeah. Now I I did love these cars when I was a kid, and I, oh, now yeah. and the more I think about this, maybe I was a closet import Japanese guy as a child and just didn't even know it. But these cars, I mean, it says wagon wheels on it. It yeah. sits up. It has a little higher stance. It was all wheel drive, but it was basically a rough and tough little car that could go anywhere. And the best part about the Brat was, kind of like an El Camino, it had the bed, but it had bolt-in jump seats in the back, like like a big Ford Bronco or something like that, rear-facing seats <laughs> with little black handles with, like, joysticks on them. If you guys can find this one on Bring a Trailer, uh, it's 1986, it went for twenty two grand. but you got to look at the, the jump seats. I was like, it has these gray vinyl jump seats with the black handles. I'm just like, I was... You're in love. Oh, I was in love. Yeah. And the, the picture, you can see the white wagon wheels on it. Those did look good. They Even did. on the wagons, and they had a little, I think they had a GL hatchback that you could yeah. get with a four-wheel drive, and those wagon wheels just made it look like, you guys remember Stompers? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah, 80s yeah. little cars? That's what they always reminded me of. They looked like Stompers. And this, I mean, 86, that's right when Eric was starting high school, so he was watching the commercials and seeing people have all kinds of fun in those jump seats running around. I don't know that, crazy. see, a stick in, of juicy in Fairbury, Illinois, I'm not sure that I ever saw one of these in real life. Uh, no? Until I got probably to Bloomington or something like that, you know. <laughs> to the big city. To the big town of Champaign or something like that. Yeah, you know, to get down to the mall. I just love how Subaru was so forward with it because everybody knows that if you have a truck or a Bronco or something of that era where you pop the top off, you're going to have a bunch of goofballs in the back yeah. doing goofy stuff. Subaru's like, yeah, we'll just put the seats back there. Dude, these so seats were so small, though, compared to, like, American American trucks at that time. I mean, this car is dainty. Were yeah. the handles instead of seatbelts, or were there seatbelts back there? Because I don't remember. I don't remember there being seatbelts. <laughs> Did anybody use them if there were? No. No, we used to ride around the back of a truck. I remember right. sitting there with my arm hanging out the back, tailgate to the back. I mean, with the, that old handle just kind of hanging loosely, keeping me latched yeah. in there. Yeah. Oh, you, four on each side, sitting on the bed rails. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of trust there, guys. Yeah. Anyway, so this car, I so twenty two Gs. Well, the twenty two just seemed extreme to me. But you know what? I went on Car Gurus today because, and I, I, I'm not familiar with that site until today. I was looking up ninety one MR2s because we just got one at the store. Ninety one MR2s are going between nine and twenty grand on Car Gurus all across wow. the country wow. with a turbo. Uh, nice cars. Yeah, and I'm thinking, well, you know what? This sub, this Subaru is super clean. Yeah, and if somebody really, really wanted one of these, I mean, it's twenty grand out of line. I mean. It, it, I don't know. Twenty grand's not a huge number for a midlife crisis car, is it? <laughs> what? I don't think so. <laughs> What's the new Subaru Outback go for? Oh yeah, it's probably forty-five grand, right? Cut it in half, you're good. Yeah. And this thing will probably still be running. I don't know about that. I mean, I, all I can think of, like that ninety-one MR2 that I love. I, we got the ninety-one MR2, and I lifted up today and looked underneath. Just oil soaked everywhere. Just Is it? oh yeah, yeah. It's just it looks like mud packed on the engine. So I'm like You're doing some gaskets on there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some seals, some crank seals. Yeah, everything got to go. But the thing is, even if you go to Colorado today, you'll see these era old uh, Subarus running around. I think I saw one. Yeah, left and right. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially in the high desert. I mean, you'll see those cars last out there. Around here, just, yeah, they were, we did, this never had a chance, right? Ten years old. My wife still remembers when she was a kid, her parents had a Loyale or whatever, like a wagon of that era. And she remembers it was the coolest car. But I think it was five years old and it just rust holes, you yeah. know. So that's what happens here in the rust belt. Yeah. Stuff happens. Yeah, they just didn't build. They built those cars for Australia. They didn't build them for central Illinois. Yeah, hence the outback. All right. So, Daryl, I've been sensing a theme with you lately. He even texted me the other day and goes, Hey, do you guys still got that uh, diesel Passat on the lot? True story. I did. <laughs> I did. I actually went and looked at it, and I'm like, nah, no. Yeah. Uh, the diesel gate cars, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show, for some reason keep popping up in my feed, probably because I keep looking at them. <laughs> yeah, every time you look at one, it wants to put it back in there. It's awful. So I keep seeing these things pop up, but they're usually, like you said, Passats, Jettas, Golfs, and I like those. And I still haven't pulled the trigger on them, but part of me always wanted a diesel car. Part of me always wanted a German car. Uh, my buddy Ben was surfing around the other night. He goes, you're aiming too low. He's like, all <laughs> the buyback cars, like they put that, they put this, the TDI motors in bigger cars like the A8. He goes, you need to look at the A8Ls and what they're going for right now. He's like 25 to 30. And I'm like, no way. Those cars were like 75 plus, 75,000 plus. So sure enough, I went on and I found this one up. I think it's in Highland Park uh, on Car Gurus. Um, two, 2014 Audi A8L TDI, which has the three-liter turbo V6 diesel, which is in uh, the Audi Q7 SUV, the bigger cars. I think Porsche Cayennes could be had with this as well. Sure, if you didn't get the V8, uh, it's still just a huge long wheelbase executive car. It looks like something like you're you're the head of the IMF or something in it. It's just a nice car, but twenty-five to thirty grand. This thing had I think forty some thousand miles on it. That's like nothing, but. There's a lot of aluminum in those things. There's a lot of weird composite stuff. Dude, I just remember we had an A4 that needed a headlight here a while back at the store. Yeah. It's like $450. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard those ballasts go out, and they're like, yeah, four to 600 And So that's the thing that's kept me from pulling the trigger is I think they'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. But there's, I would have two repairs, and I'd be trading it in because I couldn't afford it. I don't know. I think you, I think you have a higher threshold for the pain on that. I, as a <laughs> Japanese car guy, I have no threshold for pain on that no, stuff. Because, zero. No, because you know our light bulbs and a Camry still thirty six dollars. Yeah, know, and I'm just, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about. I, I want to have a giant, big black sedan like this, and I want to look like a Bond villain. That's, okay. Right. I want to look like somebody that James Bond would like try to kill. Okay. And that's my goal. And maybe this is the cheapest way to do you that. You need different. Glass frames for that. Do I, I need therapy? No, so, just maybe just say. <laughs> something sportier on the frames, and I think you'll you'll be get halfway well, there. I get the smart glasses. We'll see. <laughs> Anyways, if you're out there looking for a bargain, the biggest bargain in the TDI buyback cars right now, Audi A8Ls. Give it a look. And uh, if anyone out there bought one, call me. We'll talk. You would look totally badass driving this car. It's probably the only thing I could fit in. I looked at the Jettas, too. I'm like, there's no way I could squeeze into this thing on a daily basis. My wife is even like, well, I'll drive it, and you can drive my Jeep. I'm like, no. That's not the goal here. The goal is to get me something cooler. So, just kidding. I love you, honey. Anyways, to give that a shot. Uh, I'll put a link up there on the show. It's on uh, CarGurus? CarGurus. Do you use that site? That. Have you used that site before? Once in a while. Yeah. Okay. Looking for late model stuff. They, and it just like scans the whole country, right? Yeah. I think it's just dealers, though. I think uh, it's okay. dealer inventory. Yeah. There's no, there's no independent stuff. I'm on there all the okay. time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, Todd, you're cool because Todd's choice here, you're rolling the clock back, my friend. Yeah, I, uh, my choice, I got on a classic auto trader, which uh, I, w- I was kind of looking for this car because this is the one that got away. Yeah. I had a, a, a 1984 Chevy El Camino, the same color, same basic car. Uh, when my son was born, and 
I, I decided I needed diapers more than I needed oh, the El Camino man. sitting in the, in the garage. You're so, practical. Uh, actually, a guy from Kentmore Tools, retired executive out of Texas, bought that car. Uh, interesting. They sold it on oh, eBay. Wow. took three months to get it shipped. So I got to hang on to it for three months and have the money, too. So that was kind of neat. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, the shippers kept backing out on him. But, yeah, that's the one that, that's the one that I wanted. Actually, uh, when I got that El Camino, I always thought I mean, the 87... You know, SS would have been the one, but now I look back and that's the better car. What's the V8 that's powering this thing? Uh, that's a 305 in that one. Uh, the one that I had, somebody dropped a 355 in there, so it was, it was pretty I mean, sweet. Uh, kind of moved. Could you even keep this car on the pavement if you, if you chose not to? What was what was really interesting is is you know it's a Brome, so that's a package, right? On, and it, <laughs> yeah, it was great. The fancy van, the yeah. fancy one, right? little metal levers on the seats for the power seats. These vehicles <laughs> had the full flotation front end, just like a Monte Carlo. You just floated down the road. You kind of turned right. You kind of turned left, and nothing happened. So yeah. you, you <laughs> yeah. were all right. Car yeah. rolled like yeah. a boat. Yeah. I will say though, uh, it's basically a Malibu wagon, like a G body station wagon. But if you started putting like the F forty one, the bigger sway bars and stuff on them, they they yeah. did okay, but it's still very much a straight line car. Uh, and you don't see these; they they seem like they kind of have like little renaissances, little spurts. Like I remember when the the muscle car boom was big, everybody wanted an SS four fifty four or three ninety six Chevelle, and then uh, people like, well, I bought this SS three ninety six El Camino for like five six grand cheaper. Like, oh, and then everybody else got the same idea, started redoing the El Caminos. Do you think that there's going to be a time where those things come back into popularity again? Uh, well, I think the the dealer that has this one was hoping so, because there was 10 or 12 on the site. Are you uh, serious? Was in Classic Auto wow. Trader. If you look, there's a logo in the in the picture that I got for you guys. Yeah. It, that dealer has all kinds of El Caminos. And they're actually, the funny thing is, was I was looking huh. through this, there's a beautiful one in Peoria, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, a little bit cheaper than this, but it's gold. Yeah. Inside and out. Oh, that's God. a deal breaker for you. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. beautiful. Even if it was a brome, uh, beautiful bright gold you with the Chevy symbols hey, in the seats. And I know some guys who were working with PlastiDip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get a color other than gold, right. Aiden, if you're listening, uh, we might have a side project for you. Yeah, exactly. Get the roller. No, this would be cool. I, I, I think just like that uh, brat that I was pulling up earlier. I think that there's something iconic about these old El Caminos. It, Late eighties, early nineties. I think eighty six and seven were the last yeah, year. Eighty seven was the was the final year for them. Yeah. They made so an eighty eight Monte Carlo, and then after that, everything yeah. went to. A friend of mine had the Monte Carlo with yeah. the SS face on it and everything, and I thought yeah. that car was a chop. I'm like, there's no way they made this car. And he's like, no, it's legit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm, yeah. it did. It wasn't a good piece. Didn't it, look great. No, the <laughs> it didn't look like they put the front together. Uh, even the on these cars, if you look behind the bumper, the the fit's not great. And then yeah. you throw that SS on there, and it just looks like somebody just hung it on the front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll fit. Get, yeah. a, get a step drill bit and just make it happen. The yeah. only thing that made that front end look worse is the old bubble window SSs themselves. That was. Oh yeah. Well, I always thought that the the El Caminos were cool if you had the topper because the El Camino topper was like super hard to find and super expensive. Even used now, people those things. Can you things... imagine? I mean, even just getting a hard top for Miata seems like a pain in the ass. Can you imagine trying to find a topper mm-hmm. for an El Camino? The toppers sometimes go more than the cars. Yeah. I believe that. Because they, they, yeah. there's a few out there on the on the different sites on Marketplace and stuff. It's interesting. Funny, yeah. El Camino accessories. It's probably like the <laughs> we were talking about the Aztec earlier. The Pontiac Aztec with the tent. Yeah. The tent probably goes for more than the Aztecs oh, do. It does. It yeah, does, if you yeah. can find that tent anymore. I, I was interesting this week. Tiny house. That, it's funny the things that come into, into what you need in your life. Uh, I found out that you can get a Geo Metro convertible top for two hundred dollars now. I just saw I almost the entire convertible top for two hundred bucks. I almost I I put that. 
a Geo Metro and the car of the week because there was a little white one for sale locally for like twelve hundred bucks, and I'm like, and you I can't have... fit in a Jetta. Imagine trying to climb in that thing. Oddly enough, I could probably fit in those. Same with the Cavalier. I, I fit fine in those things. When, when I started like, here, I had a '93 Geo Metro. Yeah, five speed, beautiful car, three cylinder, three cylinder, forty one point nine miles to the gallon, uh, and <laughs> Prius Wood. You, you fit in it. Yeah. Nobody could get in the back seat, but you fit in it. Right. Yeah. That's the way it works. When you look back at those early small cars, like Chevette's. My dad had a Chevette. Like, he and I were driving around this yeah. Chevette Woody for a while. As a goof, he bought it. Yeah. And I'm like, how the heck can we fit in this but not a newer car? Well, it's because there's no steel beams in the doors. You, there's no you literally, seats. Literally, yeah. You can take your hand and, 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 like you're holding a cheeseburger, and that's the thickness of the door panel. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Now it's like twice or three times that. Yeah, it just popped into my head. One of the students I sent to work for Eric had a Chevette when she was here. So No kidding. Yep, like 78. It was a Did leaker. she? Yep, yep. She still have it? I don't know. I don't think I don't so. know what happened to her. Um, uh, I don't know much. where she's working now. Okay. Well, anyway. All right, Shabbat's worth some money now. <laughs> all right, that's all we got for the show. Uh, am I missing anything else here, Daryl? I don't think so. Special thanks to Todd. Uh, appreciate you having us over here. And uh, if if we can just kind of hang out here all the time, I think that'd be awesome. I just like but the smell. Anytime yeah, you come in. shop smell. Can you put that in a candle or a cologne <laughs> or something? If I could, we're, we're going to sell it, I guess. <laughs> in the gift shop. Yeah. Yeah, the if you can't graduate, get a candle so you remind you of school, right? <laughs> uh, again, visit our sponsors. Uh, thanks again to Fort's Toyota at uh, toyota-pekin.com they're there in north pekin 15 minutes from anywhere and of course we always thank gabe casey at clo peoria he is definitely your legal eagle when you need any help whether you got case law whether you got somebody in the family who's bugging you on the will you call gabe casey and he's gonna be the guy to hook you up so clo peoria.com thanks gabe uh, and again thanks todd appreciate yeah. this thanks I, for letting me on it's yeah. been a great time i think we are too subdued i think i think the next time we get together we'll have to be a little more raucous maybe we'll have to do it at our other studio Maybe, or just do like 10 shots of Starbucks beforehand. (laughs) Whatever. They still make Jolt Cola. Uh, If you enjoyed this show, uh, please make sure you share it with other people. And uh, definitely let people know about the auto program at ICC. It is the hidden gem here in central Illinois because it has Todd Fortier. Yeah, and and it's going to go big. It's going to go through the roof now that you've been on this podcast. We'll put a we'll put a link and, and everything to your program's uh, website here on the show, and you can always hit us up. We're at info at throwinwrenches dot com. If you've got any questions, feedback, insights, or you got some really cool jokes, let us know. Yeah, we love card jokes. I need that. Mm-hmm. All right. Till next time. This is Eric Stahl. I'm Daryl Scott. I'm Todd Fortier. We'll see you next time. <laughs>